Hey guys, new podcast, nothing to promote. Oh, what am I saying nothing to promote? Hold on one second. I have tons to promote. I don't know why I'm saying that. Edmonton, January 14th through 16th. Melrose Impov, the 22nd. Cincinnati, 28, 29, 30. Richmond, February 4th, 5th, and 6th. The Ice House, Pasadena, February 12th. Omaha, February 18, 19, and 20. And that's, let's just leave it there. Let's just leave it there. Oh, Colin Sick to Work Show. Columbus Funny Bone, March 17th. Come on, baby. Get some. Today's guest. You'll hear this. I don't need to tell you more about this. He is absolutely hilarious. I love this guy. I really do. We're going to do more of these podcasts. Uh, he's been on numerous Letterman's. He has uh, toured everywhere. I've worked with him. He's probably the funniest guy working today right now. If you don't know him, you're about to meet him, and you're about to fall in love with him. Put your hands together silently, silently, for Tommy Jonigan. This is um, I love. I've only There's done one other fan. podcast out here, and that was with uh, Doug Stanhope. What did I do with my fucking cigar now? Oh. Well, it's definitely not gonna, I'm not going to be as good as Stanhope. I can promise you that. You know what? I think that was my opus. I don't think I'll ever be as good as that podcast either because I was really fu- – I'm, I'm, I mean, actually, I take that back. You're, I was trying to do it. I was very relaxed last night, and I was having a cigar. I was watching the football game going inside and out, watching the girls uh, – watching the girls uh, – Watch the trilogy of Star Wars because we're going to see Star Wars today. And I thought to myself, I'm really good at, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I like about my podcast and what I want to continue to do with my podcast and where I want to take it. And I was like, I really like talking to people I'm interested in, like genuinely. Yeah. Like I'm, I think I might be done with people that like I don't really know at all and i don't really have any interest in yeah so i'm the last of the guys you're not interested in <laughs> yeah exactly. i'll be the the, the whole the whole yeah. new wave of podcasting after this no it's uh who is that cigar cutter sucks here's the problem i wanted to do like a cigar smoking podcast i was like that would be a fun podcast but a lot there's a lot of build-up to it you really have to um we, we you should we should have been smoking. I've already I've just cut. I'm trying to light now. Yeah. Where I put my fucking coffee? This is the Uh-oh. up and down podcast. Oh, that was good. I think I'm going. And you love these big gauges. I love it. I love big ring gauges. I love um I like a strong cigar, mm-hmm. like a semi-strong cigar. Nothing too strong. This is, I would say, what would you say? This is like, this is a what Jaime is Garcia. And I, some, when I, when I was, I yeah. want to say I was, the day before I was with you, I was there and the guy recommended it. Mm-hmm. At the V cut over by the improv. And I smoked it. My favorite cigar ever is a morning cigar with coffee. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm I've been excited for this. Since I ran into you. Yeah, here's my favorite in the world. I wouldn't be shocked if I ended up having two cigars, three cigars today. Yeah, I may do more because I got to get, uh, I'm doing a New Year's show. I'm going to wear a suit. And then I thought about the last time I wore the suit. And without even tr- 
without even pulling the suit out of the closet, I knew that I have to get the pants let out. <laughs> just by just the timeline of the last time I wore it, there's no way that suit fits right now. So I got to go get it altered right next to the V. And so you're like, well, if I'm going um, to altered- get the suit, if I'm going to get the pants let out, it's going to make me sad. So I might as well go have a cigar. No, wait, what? No, so you go over to the V cut a lot, right? And yeah. what do you do? You go over and just have a cigar with those guys? I. Do you talk to anybody? Do you write? Yeah, I become friends with a bunch of the guys there. How it started was, um,. I've always smoked cigars and hot. been, uh, you know, been a cigar guy for probably not always, but for the last seven or eight years, and that just increases every year. So then, uh, my chick and I live in a two-bedroom spot, and the second bedroom is my office. And I would go there, and she would go off to work, and I would go write. And then uh, we had our kid in the second bedroom. My kid, yeah, I would write in the second. I just turned it into a pretty sweet office. And then we had our kid uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago. And we turned that into her nursery, so I lost my office. So for a while, I just went to the V, starting at like 10 in the morning, and would just write all day. And then my chick said, you're smoking probably too many cigars, you're going to die. So I rented an office, which is uh, on Santa Monica and Hayworth, which I don't know. know. It's right by the Vica. So I rent an office right by the cigar shop. So now I go into my office and write from like 9 to 2. And then go to the V cut for the end of the day smoke because I've become friends with a lot of the guys there and we talk about stuff. There's some guys that are in acting and comedy and guys that are in just some <laughs> really comics cool come by. There's a couple of um, uh, I you know, I think there's they say open my comics that uh, I probably don't even know their last names. Okay. A couple of guys that just pop in that we chat about stand up and then guys that are fans of everything and. All walks of life in a cigar shop. You got a guy that runs the tennis court. And well, Bobby Kelly started going to a cigar shop. I've, I've always kept my cigar smoking private, almost like uh, homosexuality, oh, yeah? like 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 a closeted yeah. f- a father who's closetedly gay, because because there's a stigma with smoking cigars that is this like it came along with like the same thing that's happened with golf in like the '90s. Anyone cool would be like, oh, and they're smoking their fucking cigar. Like, oh, really? Oh, God. I I'm remember so it distinctly. so far from cool, I wouldn't even know that uh, it's not cool to do it. It's, it's, there was this, like, almost like, I, I, I would say, I'd say alternative, but I can't say alternative because it was all the people I liked, you know? But, like, like if you if you lit up a, sc- a cigar in front of Janine Garofalo, I'm sure she'd be like, oh, this guy. Oh, really? Oh, 100%. I'd almost say 100%. Unless her dad smoked him and she smells him and loves the smell. But like yeah. growing up in Florida, and that's the—I don't know if I said this to you or not—but growing up in Florida, to see your father smoking a cigar in the morning with a cup of coffee was almost like outside was like that's part of the thing. To go to the courthouse, I go to the courthouse when I was probably six, seven, reeked of cigar smell, and I loved it. Well, in Florida, you have to—the dad is creating that uh, haze of smoke to keep the bugs away from his family. <laughs> it was a protective thing. It was a real, uh, it was his, um, he was being made, made the matriarch. <laughs> but it's, and so like, like, I mean. Patriarch. Patriarch. He was being, yeah. <laughs> he was being the mother. So, so yeah, so I always kept my cigar smoking closeted. And then I saw Bobby Kelly doing it on Periscope. And I was like, that's odd. And then, because uh, I didn't know Bobby smoked cigars. I knew he smoked cigarettes. And then Bill Burr texted me. And he was like, hey, man, I want to have a, I got these Cubans. Let's have a cigar and a drink one night. Like, let me know when you're around. And I was like, because Bobby and Bill are guys that I think have been, are now very, very successful comedians with yeah. their TV shows and whatnot. But I knew them back when I was an open micer. And so they were, the, and they were just above open micer. And so, 
so I think for them, I think it's easier to sit and not someone not talk about them, not feel like there's something they want out of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a weird thing in this city that I don't understand, which is I do understand, which is people who you can't have a conver- they can't have a conversation with a famous person because they are consistently thinking, what can I get out of this person? Yeah, that happens way too much. Not as much in New York. Just it's the real LA thing. Well, maybe not in New York because I've never lived in New York, but I guess it probably happens there too. Now, we were talk. I was talking in this monologue I did about you that I probably won't release, but I was saying how you're the first guy that I met that redefined to me what how hard how much harder I needed to work. Oh, that's Do you remember nice. that weekend? I remember we were in uh, Penguins, right? Mm-hmm. Penguins in Iowa. I don't remember which one it was. There's two of them. It was Quad Cities. Davenport? Davenport, Davenport yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that weekend well because uh, I, don't remember, I don't know how young I was, but I was pretty young. And I didn't drink. I didn't cuss. I didn't do anything. And um, there was this thing where, the, you know, it's not the same, but where it was – you could have this, uh, you could live the Burt life and then also still be a good dad and have a family and everything. I was like, wow. I, I always, I'm being serious, like, I always thought kind of like you choose one of those, but you don't get to have both because I always knew that I'd be a family guy. So that was for me, I was, that was a weekend where I was like, oh, we should, I should be having more fun. I, I was, I was blown away by how, by how funny you were, by how, how unfun you were. Bla- b- brutally unfun. I'm still pretty unfun. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> I uh, I was crazy. I, I think I was... It sounds fun. I was tucking in my shirt, uh, maybe, when we were working <laughs> together. I may have been still tucking in my shirt like I just uh, got off an a- interview for the assistant manager at Applebee's. I said I went... I went... Nan was the... I, mem- I remember that club very... Yeah. Uh, very specifically because it was the first club Jeff something jeff johnson Johnson. booked it it was his clubs and they let me headline both of them i remember i must have been getting paid 800 bucks 700 like maybe maybe a thousand i doubt it and i got i did both clubs back to back not like not but like next consecutively and then um and nan was there there was a guy who worked at for nan named benji do you remember him uh was he the guy that they when you J. get I. up, I knew it was going to be a different week. When the first thing he says is something to the effect of like, "I got your song," and it was this song by the Killers. I think it's called "It's Only Rock and Roll," or I may be wrong. No, that's ah, uh, fuck, I can't remember. But you had a song that apparently he had played last time you were there, and it turned into a real party. Yeah, it was a Killers song. I remember I downloaded it after. I, I that was you know there was a that was a big that that weekend was very formative for me and I and it sounds thank God you're as successful as you are because I can say it and go it wasn't just some kid that I never fucking heard of again but it was previous to that point I was and it, and I continued this forward in my career but I like I was very obsessed with selling drinks at the club you were yeah i was really obsessed with making sure the club because i i couldn't david tell had said in passing i don't even remember when he said it now and i don't know if i fucking made it up 
Yeah. But like that's the way my brain is these days where I go, I have this distinct memory of David Tell telling me this. Yeah. And he said, you can't promise that the club owner is going to know good comedy. You can't promise that he's going to even see your set. With those two factors in there, I feel. the only thing at the end of the week that you can promise is he's going to take a look at how he did business-wise. And if he did good, you'll come back. And That's if you totally sell, true. And if you sell drinks, you did good. Yeah. And so I would go in. I still do this. Two beers on in one hand. And people people see that and they're just like, fuck yeah. And I, I, I've never been really affected big by alcohol. And I'd kill a beer. I'd let, I'd let the song play and kill a beer right away and then start. And by the way, I'd have one beer. And then I'd yeah. sip on the other one. I'd have one beer for a fucking do show. Do you... Notice, I mean, do people say how many drinks you sell? You know, do they come oh. up to you and go afterwards and like, holy shit, Bert, we sold. Uh, do you do a round with everyone? or how? Is it just the act of you drinking that sells more drinks? It's the act of me drinking, and it's a little bit my personality and my, and my I, I guess you, for lack of better words, you say brand. Well, now, yeah. But, um, but at that point, you were selling a ton of drinks, and you weren't the machine. You weren't the I was guy. Just, I, no, no one even know who the fuck I was. But you still sold drinks just because of the party? I sold drinks. I sold drinks. I sold drinks to the point where people had said we should talk about incorporating a deal in the bar sales. I sold drinks. <laughs> I still sell drinks. I'll tell you this much. My call and sick to work shows are somewhat legendary with selling drinks. I do a call and sick to work show where yeah. I go and do radio at 8 to 10. I drink yeah. on radio. I then go right to the club at 11 and do a show at 11, from 11 to 12. And then we're done. And then I take everyone out and we go party in it like an after like an you, afternoon bar. Dude. You so you do it at the club at eleven? You should how come that uh, hasn't overlapped with me? I wanna I, I wanna I wanna be on I wanna be on one of your Oh, uh, you'll be toast for that afternoon. nice show. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll find a date you're at and we'll I'll come in and do it. I, it's gotta be a place where good radio exists. Good, oh, so that's the big thing. And the, they they do well? Uh, sell People out. People come out? Several, sell out every show. Really? Every show I've I done love it. sells out. Um and the last one I did was in Tampa. I did it, and... Uh, Side splitters or improv? Improv. And as I walked into the club, they're panicking, and they're like, we're out of beer. It's By the way, it's 11 o'clock, 10.45. We're out of beer. Your fan showed up at like nine, 8.30, 9 o'clock at the club, because doors were open, and st- just sat and started drinking, and they played the radio show. Oh, my God. On, on the thing. Oh, that's beautiful. And they just sat and listened. And then they wait for you to show up. They wait for you to show up, and they're drinking. I mean, it was... Now, Are they rowdy? The, oh, Rowdy yeah. as fuck. Okay. I mean, like, one of the guys is since dead that was at the show, front row. Uh, huh? Yeah. True story? True story. Have you told it on your podcast? No. Can you... Is You don't want to? No, he didn't die at my show, but oh. he, he, he came really close. Uh, but he, like... I mean, it was just chaos. Like, How do you know he died? You scanned the obituaries? I mean, no, for- his, his people emailed me on Twitter, hey, just giving you a heads up. He's Holy passed. Holy shit. Yeah. So, uh, but like, yeah, it was, it was, it was real, it's real chaotic at these shows. Like he didn't die from partying at my show, but he almost did. He just, this is the the energy is that they've been drinking since the crack of fucking dawn. Mm -hmm. So they're hammered. He just stands up in the front row and is like, uh, I have stage four, uh, uh, brain cancer and he's obliterated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can remember the jokes I made with the guy. Because he goes, I was like, wow. Now the energy's changed in the room. I'm like, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to say. And he's like, what What are you going to say about that? And I don't know. Is it scary? And he's like, uh, I don't know. I said, well, let me buy you a drink. <laughs> this is the first joke I made. And he goes, 
I want a rum and diet Coke. I go, eh, just get a regular Coke. What do you care? <laughs> <laughs> and and then he ended up f- passing out in, while standing, hitting his head on the table, putting his head open. The ambulance came, but it's a real really? clusterfuck. Just brain cancer leaking everywhere and everywhere. And then he's since passed. He was a very sweet guy. Stage four is the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. That happened to uh, the guy I know. Who? My dad was just referenced. Oh, really? It wasn't brain. It was uh, a bunch of them. Find, your, find a comfortable spot. We're, we're going to find a comfy spot. That corner is really good. This corner? Yeah, all that right. corner is really good. Here's what I'm going to tell you, Bert. I hope you edit this a little bit. I'm it takes me a bit to warm. I'm like not. Uh, My podcast I'm is. Afraid of, I'm afraid of. First the, of all, I'm not super interesting. No, these podcasts aren't what. Good. My podcast isn't like. Uh, isn't this like. Uh, isn't like. It's more like a hang. I like a hang. I like a hang more than that's why when you came to the V and you were like we should do it, I immediately said yes and I never say yes because of the reason of you know, if I go on radio and some people shit on this, if I go on morning radio, my job is to sell tickets. I'm not there to be friends with anybody, I'm not there to to open up about a thing. I want to sell tickets, so I'll do material in a very conversational way. But like what? Podcast, like give me an example. I can bring it I can come I I can put material in almost anywhere. So you know what I okay, mean? so let's let's so try like my I, girlfriend I, and I have. Uh, we just had her. Well, it's not my girlfriend. We're not. It's not my wife. We're not married. You know what I'm saying? You're still not married. No, no, no. I'm not going to marry a chick that has two kids. <laughs> See, I just put. That's a bit. You would have never known it had we not said. Wait, no, you hold set on. me up hold for on. it. Did you, Isn't that insane? Did you lead me into that? You led me into it. and You didn't even know it. <laughs> I am so good at working a bit in. You know what I'm saying? We're going to marry a chick with two kids. That's my bit, and you wouldn't have known it if I didn't tell you. So that's what I do when I go on radio. I, it's a fucking chess game to me. These DJs, you go in, and they're like, don't do material. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, fucking watch me do it, and you'll laugh at it and not even know what happened to you. Yeah. Because it's. I think they say don't do material in the sense of like, hey, ask me about uh, Bigfoot. Because then they got to be like, what about uh, fucking Bigfoot? Yeah. Huh? But I... It literally, I'll do stuff like I'll just be in the conversation. My material is all about my life, so I can just work it in without anybody <laughs> knowing. But on a podcast, you're not doing that. You're kind of hanging out, and I feel like I suck at it. But a nice hang with Bert and a cigar seems great to me. No, I did first time I did Rogan. I thought because I was like you, I was it, it was I was groomed to to slide in material, and I was really I was really good at it too. I, I've since gotten very bad at it from doing so many podcasts. Yeah. Um, but like I remember when I did Bob and Tom for the first time, I slid material all over them and they didn't know it. And I got done and uh they each independently pulled me aside and were like, You're fucking amazing. Like and then they had me back and I was like in like within like I wanna say within like a month and I was like, I just tore through an hour with you yeah. guys. Like I've done everything there is to do, including bits that you led me into. Like I don't know what to I don't know what to tell you guys. So but yeah, I've gotten worse at sliding in bits. It also happens after... You can uh, ash on the ground if you want. Behind you, yeah. Is that someone? Okay. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, people to clean it up. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a... Uh, it, there's a stigma to it that I think when people shit on a certain thing, they're kind of thinking of the worst uh, version of... You know, even when you say road comic, when I moved out to LA, it was a lot of like, oh, this guy's a road guy, uh, this guy's a road comic. And it's like, you know... Name your favorite comics, and then name the ones that didn't do the road, and it's it's none. There's none of your favorites 
just didn't do the road. You can't not do the road. I remember hearing Bobcat Goldthwait did the road, and I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. What do you mean you did the road? Like, Isn't that crazy? Like a comedy club. I you? saw Bobcat Goldthwait at the club I started at in Fairview Heights above a Ramada Inn and a TGI Fridays. That's where I started stand-up. And I was just a low, you know, a six months in open micer. And I went and saw Bobcat. So I thought, you, if you remember, like, when you're, for a while when you're doing comedy, there's, like, a really fun period where you're doing comedy and you're still just kind of an audience member. Mine was in New York City. Where, like, you, you don't know what's good and you don't know what's, like, you're just kind of going in blind. Like, you don't have that, and, I'm you know, I'm not saying it's great, but you don't have that thing. Like, I loved guys that now I'm like, oh, man, that's not original, that's you, not too You were easy. the one that turned me on to the fact that there are amazing comedians that have, that, that I've never heard of. I remember thinking, I remember we, and I don't know why, because I'm not this guy. I'm very, I'm a very nice person, but I am very judgmental, and I do, yeah. I, I'm like everyone else. I'm not better than everyone else. Someone goes, oh, I can't believe people hate you. You're the nicest guy in the world. No, but I'm, I'm a shitty person also. I form preconceived notions about things before, without any information. And I remember you saying something like, no, have you, you've never seen Emo Phillips? Oh, my God. And I was like, e- Emo Phillips? And I'm like, yeah, uh, he doesn't work out in New York or L.A. I don't know. I don't know Emo Phillips. And I go, you mean the guy from the, like, the 90s or the 80s? And you're like, Bert, he's hilarious. Maybe the best joke. Right? I worked with him at uh, the Jukebox in Peoria. It was the first time I worked with him, and, uh, which I think was probably right around when I worked with you. Yeah. Which was, I mean, it was blow away. It was like the best, the best jokes. You are the, re- you are the reason that, um, oh, this is the best part of a cigar, by the way. Little lightheaded, the coffee's kicking in. This is my favorite part of a morning cigar. Um, you're the reason, I will say indirectly, and people go, don't speak in concrete terms like that. What's, his name's not Robert Hartman. Hawkins. Robert Hawkins. Robert you- Hawkins. You are the He's reason. the best. You are the reason Robert Hawkins did WTF. I don't. I. I. I I've never done. Oh, I guess I did a live one, but I don't know how that's even possible. Well, but Robert explain. Hawkins is the. Let me He's the man. You told me, in no uncertain terms, that Robert Hawkins is one of the best joke writers out there, and that if I haven't seen him, I'm out of my fucking mind. He is the example of what I'm talking about. Bert, we were sitting at that bar. You told me another story about a porn star, and then this one slid in. And you're like, no, Robert Hawkins is fucking amazing. You, you've never seen him. I said, no. I go, Tommy, he doesn't live in New York. He can't be that good. And you're like, no, that's where you're fa- fucking wrong. There are guys on the road that you've never heard of that are fucking amazing. Yeah. You ran through a list of guys that to this day I deem as uh, the apostles of the road. The guys that I go, they make me okay with doing the road. Yeah. And Hawkins and is the, the pinnacle of that. I went and watched a bunch of Robert Hawkins and listened to him on like Sirius XM. Or he came up a couple times, and I yeah. was like, wow, this guy's fucking amazing. Cut to, two years later, I'm sitting at the airport bar in uh, in LAX at the Admirals Club, and I run into Mark Marin. He had just started his WTF. I said, I love what you're doing. I think it's fucking genius. Yeah. I really do. And I said, I would suggest you find some road guys. And he goes, what? I go, like, the road guys, like, I go, being on the road, there are a lot of guys on the road that you run into that are fucking murderers, but don't get respect and love out of L.A. And I, he goes, who? I go, like, Robert fucking Hawkins. Cut to, I'm on a plate. Robert Hawkins is on WTF. And Marin goes, you know why you're here? Burt Kreischer said, you should have Robert fucking Hawkins on. Oh, Robert wow. Hawkins goes, I have no idea who Burt Kreischer is. <laughs> 
And that is, you can someone do me the favor and edit this together and find that clip and post this online. But like, I, and I to this day, I think Robert Hawkins is fucking genius. Hawkins is a genius. He's a pure, real great. I, as far as comedy clothes go, I saw Regan do the Funny Bone in St. Louis. It's the hardest I've ever seen someone murder. Regan is, and then the second hardest is Robert Hawkins. Really, in the same club, Regan. It, I saw him the last year he had clubs. He was a $30 ticket. Everyone was there to see him, and he killed. Hawkins was Robert Hawkins, who's super funny, has fans, but it wasn't everyone paid a ton of money. Everyone was there to see him. There were people that didn't know who he was that were there, and he blew the roof off the place and got what I think is better than a full standing ovation. He killed so hard at the end of the show he closed, and then just like 15 or 20 people shot out of their seats because that's all that they didn't know what to do. So it was yeah. like so good they didn't know what to do. So fifteen or twenty people stood up and the rest of the people were just roaring. It was the it was it was murderous. You've informed you informed and I, I don't I don't know if I've ever told you this or maybe I have, but you've infor, you informed a lot of my the lot of the way I enjoy comedy because you you didn't you weren't jaded, you didn't have you 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 enjoyed comedy. You're still into it, and I was get the point. I come out of New York and I was just. I was jaded. I was like, if I don't know your name, you're not good. Yeah. And I saw you murder. And then the other thing that happened that week is you said, I don't, you said, I really like your stuff, but I won't watch it because I have, I have a propensity. It was not the word you used, but you said, I have a propensity to um, emulate cadence or something. You said, I, I, sometimes if I really like someone, I'm still so young that I find myself in, in like copying not copying their cadence yeah. but like no i know timing. exactly what you're talking about i did that so i stopped and it's not in a dick way but it was the only way that i could find my own way of t- speaking even and way because it's uh you know when you get up there there was a time where like part part of i talk like hedberg at times i talk like regan at times and then if i watch you i talk like you for a second so i just kind of had to pull out of watching these guys that not even um famous but just like guys like you who had a distinct voice well, i didn't you know what i didn't know that i had a voice at that moment and i thought well that's interesting that he said that and i and i really sat back that night at a poker table at the casino next door and i said to myself i i sound i feel like some of my jokes sound like david tell and i was listening to david tell i mean that was like that was like uh, therapy. Now people get into fucking comic books, and then they get their comic book. They sit in their bed, and they that that serotonin drips, and they're like, "No, oh, I'm home," you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like some people do it with like their favorite show. It happens for me. Game of Thrones. I get a fucking stiff, strong drink. I put both TVs on. I set up my my couch so that I can watch both TVs, and I have a drip. And my drip at the time was David Tell. I'd listen to him incessantly yeah. because it reminded me of New York. It reminded me of 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 the my salad days in the city but i found and i and i realized the next week i played like captain brian's and i found that i had listened to too much Atel. and so i was like i gotta like i gotta break up with him yeah i gotta like stop listening to him and i was like i need to stop listening to comedy in general i mean i need to enjoy good comics but don't sit and just be like <clears throat> like sit and go oh because it and i was like wow and then I was like, I remember I was like, I really hope this Tommy Jonigan guy succeeds. Oh, I was, I, I thought that the whole time. <laughs> I really hope so. And then I ran into, we went to lunch in Chicago. Do you remember this? We went to Portillo's. 
Oh my God! And yeah, you said one of the funniest things that I've laughed. I've never laughed so hard. All right, I had to take something out there because uh, I shared something Tommy did not want to share with everybody. <laughs> so sorry, and we're back in the podcast. I forgot about that. We got to take that out. <laughs> okay, where's that at? Twenty-seven minutes. Uh, I thought it was something else. That's, uh, that's <laughs> is that true a, though? Um, that'll give me some real trouble. <laughs> Okay, I'll take that out of 27 minutes. But There's we're, like we're, half of my family doesn't talk to me already, and you that would eliminate the other half. <laughs> Are you you can You can keep this part in. Just take out that the information okay. part. Have people tweet at me or something. But it's so funny because I laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting at the table. I remember. Oh, And then I ran into you again at the brouhaha, and you had started partying, and we fucking got loose. That was fun. Those, those types of things are fun. I, um... I'm at the point now, it's like with the two kids, it's a crazy, it sounds crazy, but the it's not that I'm tired of the road, it's just that the, and my chick's real cool, it's the idea of when I'm on the road, I'm like, man, A, I gotta really, I gotta work really hard cause to make it worth not being around my kids, I gotta like, I can't be here and not write, because then it's like, well, I'm just on vacation, I'm doing a show for an hour a night. And then like I feel like I'm on the road. And uh, and it's also another thing where I'm like, you know, I have always had this fear from coming up on the road where, you know, I see guys, you know, no names or whatever. The guys that are the negative road guys where they're just done the same act for 20 years and they're 60 and 65 years old and just touring around. And I'm like, my thought is always at what point could they have quit? Because now they can't. You do get to a point where comedy is your job and then you're unemployable in any other field. You know, even on the low end of headlining, you're making 1000 or 1500 bucks a week. You you can't get that job. You yeah. can't make that money anywhere else. So I have this huge fear in the back of my mind that, like, what if now is the point where I should quit and do something else because I'll never get to that uh, level of success that I'm There's looking for? a lot for. of guys that make parallel moves into directing. I start. I started. <clears throat> I started doing that vlog, not because I wanted to quit comedy, but I just thought to myself, I should. I should not just. I should learn how to edit and learn how to give notes yeah. and learn how to tell story through video because that is something that it seems is a seamless move in our profession. Yeah. And so I started doing that. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. But then I, like yesterday, Leanne came out. She goes, "So where are we going with this vlog? Because it's." I don't know if you notice it, but it's really creeping into your life. Like, you always have your camera on. And so when you have your camera on, I hate to say this, but it's this uber side of yourself that is not very dialed back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, what am I doing with that? And then I had to book a ticket to Edmonton. And I went, oh, shit. All all those things came very naturally, like, like how to get on the road. Oh, I need this new shirt in production before I get to Edmonton. Yeah. Oh, I need to. I want to take a look. Oh, there's a story I want to tell. I need to work that out. Let me do a Wednesday night at. And then I started going. Oh, that's right. I'm a fucking comic. Yeah. It's that's that is the easiest thing for me. That is the seamless thing. That is the thing I've been spending my ten thousand hours on. Yeah. I'm 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 doing some writing stuff, and I'm like, if if there's a pivot, it would be into writing and then being a showrunner, which I think would exercise a lot of the parts of my brain. The the same uh, um, things that, you know, you get that fulfillment from doing stand-up. 
I think you would lose a little because you're not in front of the audience. But uh, I'm, you know, also I don't love the audience. I'm not one of those guys. Like I don't do stand up for the crowd. It's very selfish. <laughs> where I do it just for me. Like I don't. I was telling my buddy that it's like I've heard guys and there's versions of like, oh, I love to be able to go out there and make people laugh, and I love the idea that somebody is having a bad day and I can make it. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about you or your day. I like the way I feel when you laugh. I like the way I feel when I make a crowd of people laugh. So them feeling better is a byproduct of me getting the thing that I want. Yeah. So that's like, it's like a selfish thing that I do. So for me, it's not, uh, it's not as much, uh, as important to have like a direct relationship with the fans. I'm the exact opposite. Really? Exact opposite. I want to say that you're, that's the, you're the nicer way. My stand up. Is a way of, is is a genuine way. I mean, it's, it's, there's a selfish byproduct. I I love the feeling, the emptiness that I have is filled when people laugh at something I can mm-hmm. do or say. Um, but I believe that for me, and I've, I've sensed this a number of times, um, doing stand up brings me closer. This is going to sound really cheesy, but brings me closer to humanity. Like I look at the the black guy with gold teeth. With the braids and the tattoo on his face yeah, yeah. that's in the front row that's mad-dogging me. That would have mad-dogged me on my way to the parking lot. Or would have mad-dogged me in an elevator. Or That's just him. He's a mad-dogger. And then when I make him laugh, I go, oh, me and him are very similar. Yeah. We have a lot in common. It's always great to make someone with gold teeth laugh, too. It's like <laughs> a, it's it, it's audi- auditory and visual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like I, like, I love that when you find an, – and I'm, I'm just saying guy – things other than myself like i used to do fraternity parties it was a big nut for me is like during rush weeks a lot of when i was younger you, mean you would perform at fraternity parties i'd, I'd perform at their rush weeks so they oh, that sounds brutal oh, it's fucking amazing really destructive you know i could tell any secret i ever wanted to tell and these gentlemen had experienced that exact secret all of them hey who remembers the first time you saw a big dick and fucking 180 guys fuck yeah Hartley, Hartley, <laughs> and I was like, "Where was it in the fucking shower? You got one shower. How many? Who's the guy who had never showered with men and now has to shower with men? Oh, Samson, Samson. I mean, it was like yeah. I had just I had shared identical experiences to them in life, and so I would do these parties, and I was like, I found that I didn't really have doing that was fun, but it was like masturbatory. I wasn't writing material that could translate anywhere, and then I I do like. 45 minutes before they were on stage with me, drinking with me, and then I'd end up in a hotel room, or in a, in a, in a, like the president's room, doing shots with these kids. They're all underage, I'm sure. I mean, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, mean, I was in college. I know what it's like. I, I didn't check IDs. Yeah. But one guy brought me up there. We're doing shots. Dude, dude, tell us the machine story. I'm fucking okay. Because I'd done a long time ago on, on Loveline, some, and it was all, I'd do a lot of LA fraternities. I did a bunch of other fraternities, but it was like, and you could be really like sexist. You could just yeah. be like, let me tell you something about, I mean, I I, for, I wrote jokes about blowjobs that were so aggressive. I was, an, I was blown, I was oblivious to how sexist they were, and i just tell them on stage. Yeah. You know what girls hate when you grab them by the back of the head and just shove them on your cock? Just, like, where the fuck? Have I ever done that? No. Yeah. Well, but I was doing fraternity parties, and these guys are like, fucking gag her out. Snap her tap, bitch. Like, I mean, it was like. It's vicious. Yeah, well, that, but then I started doing the road more, and I, and I was like, I was like, oh, the, you know, 
you f- you'd find like this. I mean, I've, very recently, I've, there was a very overweight woman in the crowd. And I, I was I have this bit about my weight gain because I gained a lot of weight. Yeah, and I saw like me and her connected on on how uncomfortable it is to be overweight and what the feelings were, the feelings that you have when you're overweight, this the shame and how you have to pretend you love it, or everyone knows that you're miserable. It's it really stinks. And I thought, oh my god! And then at the end of the show, she came over to me and. We shared a plate of nachos, and no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but like that's what I that's I think that's why that's one of the things I love about stand up. No, wait, do like the, I'm, so, I'm do selfish, the, really, and uh, I don't. I never want to hurt someone's feelings or make someone mad. But if it happens, and if I didn't mean, like, I'll learn from it and go like, oh, I see, I see their point of view. I'll I'll adjust that next show. Or I'll be like, I think they're in the wrong, so I'm going to keep doing it that way. Oh, I would have people, I would say to people, at one point in my act, I would say, hey, if you didn't like anything I said, come talk to me about the end of the show and tell me why you didn't like it. Yeah. So I can figure it That's out. That's smart. Because I, like I, don't, I, don't I, I don't know what I'm saying sometimes. Like sometimes you just, you know, people, don't, people think that a comic, because they're on stage and they're doing well, that they've got it all dialed out and these are their fucking life goals. They're not. A lot of times I'm just saying something that makes me laugh. And yeah. I thought it'd make you laugh. And if you go say to me, hey, just giving you a heads up. When you talk about, you know, the the blowjob joke I had was, uh, I mean, it's pointless. But a girl pulled me aside and said, you know, just give me your heads up. Like, you know, that there are guys that really fucking do that, you know. Like, uh, and, and you brutal, know, right? Like, yeah, and, she, and she's like, and it, it's just, it's so not you. Like, I know you've never done that. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, so why would you say it? And I went, I don't, it's funny. She's like, yeah, I know, but you're funny. You don't need to say it. Like, yeah. You, and you got two daughters. Like, when I hear you say that, it really makes me think, like, kind of feel sad for your daughters. That, that kills that, some of the fun when you have two daughters, right? Yeah. And I was like, fuck. And I was like, well, you know what? I wrote it when I didn't have two daughters. I wrote it when I was just doing frat houses. And I was still telling it because it kills. And I was like, hey, thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah. And then I was like, that nah, I can't tell the jokes. I feel like, like, who do they see when I say that? Because I, I talk about my daughters so much, and then I'm like, gag them out. Like, uh. it's so, I don't know. I, I like the back and forth of an audience as well. I, I mean, I don't think they're entirely right because they're not doing what I do, but. Yeah. So wait, so one, one of the things I'm dying, I've been dying to ask you about, and I even in life, I, I would have asked you this off podcast. What was the move like to LA from the road? Because you were in, you were in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were like, locked down. You had a Harley. I did have a Harley. Yeah. You remember everything. No, I remember, uh, I remember things about people I like. I, um. I moved out here almost five years ago. You were done. You were not coming to L.A., I wanted to I say. Was, no, I wasn't. I was always – my thing was always I just didn't see the reason because I would go out and uh, I would turn over my act and I would write new stuff on the road. And my thing was always I don't want to move until I can live in a place like L.A. and make a living uh, that – you know, a living that I'd like – to make and come off the road for weeks at a time or months at a time, like to work on other things. So I waited until I felt like, you know what, I think I've done an, as much as I can do from St. Louis. I think maybe there's guys that are better or different that could do more. But I, I living in St. Louis, I had done a handful of Letterman's and a special and uh, Last Comic Standing and all these other things just from St. Louis. And But that's an understatement, I would say, because you're, you're, I, I think I saw your first Letterman appearance. I think I've probably seen all your Letterman appearances. But they're monstrous. I, I mean, it, I always you, loved it. It was the highlight of my year. And then uh, it seemed like Dave loved you. He was so nice to me, and uh, it's terrible. It's bad that he passed away. 
um, or quit. I can't remember. But uh, it's it was different because I moved out here. I'm just such a Midwest guy. I didn't like it for six months. Luckily, what was it like what was it like? What was it like? I didn't come off the road necessarily. Uh, I didn't come off the road until I moved out here, and then a few months later, I sold a um, show to NBC that didn't get didn't go, but we sold it, and I wrote it with a guy. So that was like my first experience. About less than a year of living out here, I was like writing a s- script, and that was different. And I wasn't on the road. It was the first time since I was eighteen or twenty years old that I wasn't leaving to go somewhere every single weekend so wait so you sold a show and then you were like great i don't have to do the road right for the next it wasn't like i don't have to do the road it was to 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 write this i was writing it with someone and we were writing it together so it was i just had to pull off the road to to work in this office with this guy it's interesting every time i sell a show and i'm not definitely not bragging but i probably sold i'm gonna get i'm gonna ballpark it at like six shows seven shows i've probably been in i don't know how many deals mm-hmm I never fucking stop the road. I just disappear. I go, do your thing. I'll give you notes. I was, on all the ones I've done, I'm doing, right now I'm doing one that I'm, like that, where I'm, I'm, I wrote it by myself. I have showrunners attached. They're giving me some notes, and they're very helpful and great. But uh, I didn't come off the road. I wrote it from hotels and wrote yeah. it from my office here when I was in town. But the other ones, last year I did one and I wrote, with uh two guys that and I, i'm like co-writer co-creator all that stuff so i i i couldn't do the whole like oh i got this now you go write it and bring it to me i never I, I just can't give up that much yeah so i pulled off the road the last three years this this is my fourth one and i still did the road but the last three i didn't i didn't i i came off the road for like three months, really? Yeah. Now, what was it like? But what was it like when you when you you come out here? You decide to move out here. You go to a comedy club for the first time out in L.A. I'm sure you've been to an L.A. comedy club before, but now you're a resident and you see. And it's I, hard. It was hard because I I started stand up at 18, um, and then by the time I was 20, I was featuring 50 weeks a year. So Wednesday through Sunday, some weeks longer, some weeks a little shorter. But every every single night for the most part i was doing 25 to 30 minutes yeah and i just learned to write in that in that longer time so then you come out here and you have you know anywhere from five to 12 minutes there's that's longer but they're super rare to do a 15 or a 30 minute set out here or 45 minute set so i i I was at first i was like well i'm not good i can't i'm not good uh at growing you know i could go out and oh you're doing seven i was like yeah i'll do you know, two and a half TV sets or one and a half TV sets, but that I, I felt like if I'm going to be out where I live, I like to consider LA where I live. So if I'm going to leave my home and do a set. I want to feel like I'm growing. I'm not just going out and kind of showing off a car that's polished and brand new. Like I want to grow. Yeah. So I hated it. The sets part. I still don't do enough sets in town. I do, I barely do. Like I'm on the road every weekend for the next six weeks or something like that. I'm probably I'm probably gonna do one or two sets in LA for two months, just because I have I, I like being home with my kids. I like making breakfast in the morning. I like putting her to bed at night. Want to do a show? <clears throat> Want to do a show at the uh, Ice House with me? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, I'm doing a show. I'm doing uh, a show uh, Friday night. Fuck, I wish I had the date. God damn it! I've, I will have mentioned it at the very beginning of this podcast, so it's that date, everybody. Um, but I'm doing a sun, a Friday night at the Ice House where. Um, I think all I got to do is like 20 or 30 mm-hmm. 
and but I can fill it up with all my friends. So and it'll be guys that I'm sure you don't hang out with. So uh, so it'll be fun. I love a fun show, and then uh, that's what that's the only reason I do stand up these days is like if if Rogan or Red Band or one of those goes, hey, you want to do a show? It's on the show. It's Al Madrigal, Bill Burr, fucking uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, and and you and Tony Hinchcliffe. I'm like fuck yeah, because because yeah. I, I don't I don't necessarily watch everyone's set, but if I want to peek my head in, I get to see Rogan tell one of the one of the best jokes I've heard in fucking five years. Or I get to see Bill Burr work out a bit where I go, God damn it. Okay. All right. All right. I understand where he's going with this. I understand where I would have taken it. Get your, get yourself in fucking working form so you can start writing that good. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, and Bill's bits, I'm just saying like, <clears throat> it seems to me Bill's always working on, I've never seen him do two bits the same ever in as long as I've been seeing him do stand up. Yeah. And so and that's the only time I do stand up now. And then now I've said to my managers and agents, I'll do these nights. I'll do like the flat flappers or the haha. Uh Joey Diaz, Diaz and I are are gonna possibly talk to them about doing a night at the haha where it's just me and Joey. I'll host the whole show, Joey will close it out, and we'll fill it up with guys that we that we really like. You know, yeah. <clears throat> that normally wouldn't maybe come out to the haha on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or Thursday night. Oh, the haha is fucking amazing. I've never done the store. I've only done the Laugh Factory once or twice. Done the, the store the a couple, couple times. The store and the Laugh Factories are a little clicky. Uh, um, I think they've both changed a little from the time I moved. I'm still super. I'm. It's like anybody. I'm like super insecure. Even when I go out and it's like, oh, I can try a couple new things. I feel like, oh, if I bomb. I'm at the point now where it's it's you know it's it's uh, weird, but a handful of people know who I am, and a yeah. handful of people go, "Oh, that guy's really good at comedy." And then in my mind, I'll go out and I do a bad set, and they'll be like, "Oh no, I was wrong." I have this weird thing where I go, if someone on the way in to a show, if I like happen to be out at the bar or walk through, they're like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm very excited to see you. I think you're really good." I want to be like, you should just leave. Yeah, like you already think a nice thing. Like, <clears throat> that's the, don't that's, come to this; it'll ruin it. That's the uh, that is the the Achilles' heel of comics who don't work in LA enough, and I have that too. Is that I have uh, I have the stories of me doing stand up are sometimes better than me doing stand up. I feel yeah, and so when I'm a fr- like Al Al Madrigal was like, you need to start working at the store, and I and I and I think that I would. I mean, one of you know, one of my secret goals is to be passed at the store and work at the store, um, but I don't pursue it as hard as I do other things for a number of reasons. Number one, I, a lot of my bad habits show up at the store, like a lot of my doing shots with people I barely know. Um, drink, On stage? Oh, in life. I mean, in just in life. Like yeah. I get there and someone I haven't seen. How do you someone, get home? I Uber everywhere. Yeah. I wish I had Uber as a sponsor. I Uber everywhere. We have two cars. We don't even use. We don't. The second car is probably fifteen years old. We don't even use it because you Uber everywhere. I yeah, I Uber everywhere. I'm like, why don't we need a new car for? I don't fucking drive. Yeah, because I if I go out to do sets, like Joey and I'll drive around. Joey will drive the whole time, and then <clears throat> uh, and I'll have drinks, you know. But uh, but yeah, that you have a lot of what I have. It's and it, it is a little bit of the road mentality of like people know you're fucking funny, 
But when they see you live, they want to see you do amazing stuff. And once again, it's like showing off a polished car. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't yeah. care to get – my ego doesn't need to be stroked with doing a set. What I want to do is grow. And so then sometimes I go, well, fuck, I guess I grow on the road, and that's where I write my hour. That's what I'm starting to get to is like you, gr- you know, grow on the road and then uh, in town you, know, you do a little – because if someone sees Burr working out a thing – and it doesn't go great. They're like, "Oh my god, but that's, that's going to be amazing!" I just saw Burr. That the thing I saw is going to be on the next special. It's going to be great. Uh, you know, but at that, you know, I feel like if you're not Burr, they see it. They're like, "Oh, that guy's just not good, huh?" Yeah, because you're not Burr. Uh, the one of the things, and I, uh, one of the things I respect immensely about Rogan is he doesn't give a fuck. I love those guys that don't give a fuck. He really does not give a fuck. I mean, he cares about his material, and he works incessantly. But if it doesn't work, and you came out and saw him, and you said, nah, I didn't think he was that great, Joe goes, oh, I don't care. I know that I'm great. or Not I don't. Yeah. Not that I know that I'm great, but I know I'm working, and this is what the job is. And I'm sorry that sometimes a plumber ha- does leave a leak. I saw that Chappelle had a quote, and Chappelle is one of the best ever, so this, is, this, this has nothing to do with my life, but I just loved that he said it. Where they were asking one of those shows that he did on the Oddball tour, where people got upset, which is the audience's fault, and uh, <laughs> people asked for refunds. And the, someone in the interview, they're like, "What do you, you know, do you do refunds?" And Chappelle goes, N- "Some version of like, no, I'm, I'm like evil can evil. You pay for the attempt." <laughs> and I'm like, "That's the best, because that's what it is." It, and I've always thought that of the stand-up where people, the fact that you get upset or you leave or whatever, it's like. With stand up with a live show, we're not a band. You're, yeah. you're you're paying for whatever is about to happen. Whether that is the guy got drunk, whether that is he offended you, whether that is it just wasn't that funny, because it's live and you're paying for. It. You're not seeing a special taping. You're seeing a club or you're seeing a theater show. It's like you pay for what's about to happen, and that's the beauty of a live show. It's yeah. going to be different than anything you've ever seen because it's never going to happen again. People tell people told me. In Hartford, and I, by the way, and I never want to speak ill of the, the dead, so I'm not speaking ill. Uh, one of my, I'd say, friend, although we weren't close, but a friend, a guy I talked to when I ran into him, and a guy I spoke to numbers of times, was Geraldo. And they used to, say, I said one time I had a drunk show in Hartford, and they go, "Well, it's never going to be as bad as the one Geraldo did." I said, "What?" And they said, "Well, he went out." Uh, Saturday night with the staff and we couldn't find him for the show and he shows up Sunday for the show and he, w- he was in no position to do stand up so I guess someone in the staff gave him a Xanax but it was too much and he had been drinking so he did the show on his back on the stage because the room was moving too much so yeah. he laid down and he just did his act on What's his back. It's his fault the room's moving. I, <laughs> I would have paid $150 to see Greg Giraldo yeah. perform laying on his back going, I apologize, I've miscalculated my intake of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is you could go to see the crisp, clean Saturday early show, and there's there's a chance you could see that same show or a similar show next week. You'll never see the laying on the floor show. No one will ever see that show again. Yeah. Some guy wrote some comment about my stand-up, and he was like, he's just a drunk who takes his shirt off on stage. And I go, yeah, that's part of it. I don't think, like, I, some it was a comic that said that. It was a comic, yeah. Just kind of tr- tried to whittle me down to that. The comic I I've always liked that I guess did a young know comic. I, what young comic? No guy that is working, and and is 
very probably big, very big. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I still like the guy. I don't dislike him, but he kind of whittled me down to that to somebody, and someone told me. Oh, I need to know. And I said, I'll tell you afterwards. And uh, and I said, yeah, but I've seen your act, and I I know what your act is. I mean, I, I I'm I know about Oz. I know where where he comes from and what he what his tricks are. Yeah. And I know that that what you're doing isn't crowd work. I know how that works when you ask a question that you already know the answer to. And it's not really crowd work, but you, everyone thinks you are Evil Knievel. And that's not Evil Knievel. That's tricking. That's tricking everybody. And I go, and I wanted to say to him so badly, we're in Montreal, I wanted so badly to go, hey, do you have a 12-minute story that you tell that has a beginning, middle, and end with pathos and ethos in it and you close on? Do you have a, do you have a 12-minute story? I'm not saying that, I'm, that, I'm, that my machine story is my fucking opus, but I'm saying... Let's not forget there's a craft in this, that I had to fucking work a goddamn 12-minute story, which is, I will say, very difficult to do in this art form, is tell a very... Mike Birbiglia does it brilliantly. Mm -hmm. He's probably the best storyteller we have in our business right now. Yeah. No questions asked. And when I saw Mike Birbiglia do stories for the first time, I went, wow, that's a fucking... That's a stunt I haven't seen before. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And you commit... 140 times you have to commit to a story that doesn't work. It's insane. Shirtless and drunk, by the way. I was shirtless, shirtless and, drunk. and drunk. So when it when it failed, I'm also shirtless and drunk. Yeah. So I'm not, by the way, I'm not drunk, but you know what I mean. Shirtless, at least. But um, what was it like? Like, do you remember the comics when you came out here that were like at the club? The first. Do you remember the first club you went to out here and you were like, and you were like, time to time to get in in L.A. I want to get past at the improv. It's, I was in a weird spot because I'd been doing stand-up and had a decent amount of TV stuff when I came out. So the improv knew me. It was just, hey, let us – oh, you're in town. Great. Let us know when you want to come up and send yeah. your avails. And, uh, so I was doing the – and then Comedy Magic was really great to me. That's your sweet spot. Comedy Magic was – So uh, much so I'd think you'd live down by the beach. I, I, if, Richard if it weren't for my chick, I would have I lived down there. I was talking to Richard about I, I would have just moved to Hermosa. And existed down there. Comedy Magic was a huge thing for me when I came out here because they're so kind to all the comics, and then so many comics that go there. It's it's the it's legends. It's the closest thing we have to the cellar, where yeah. that green room. You sit around that table. Gary Shandling's and there. Shandling's asking you if you have a tag. Ray Romano's at, treating you as an equal comic. Like everyone at every level is the same at that table back there, and they're so kind. They feed you, and that was the biggest. Where I thought uh, I just heard a story of a guy that I knew. This is the old Booker five years ago at the comedy store that he got passed at the comedy store, and then he goes and does like three weeks on the road, and he comes back, and the dude's like, "Oh, you're not passed anymore. You got to hang out. You weren't you weren't around for a month." And I go, "I don't want to invite any of that negativity in my life." Yeah. So I just filled all those like. Anytime I was like, "Oh, I should be doing spots," I would go to Hermosa, I'd go to the Improv, or Meltdown was great, and those everyone's that guy. That guy was bad news. There's a really great podcast. Uh, if anyone wants to listen to it, it is motherfucker. I wish I could remember whose it is. Uh, there's a really great podcast that he, that guy does. Um, the old Booker. The old Booker from the Comedy Store. Ah, God damn it! I'm really sorry, uh, but if you know who it is, uh, tweet it out. But he does a podcast where he talks about why he did that and why he didn't pass certain people and what what he needs and co- and it's it's. It explains it a little? Explains it a little bit. I wouldn't say the guy's... I always wrote the guy off as crazy, but hearing the podcast, I saw that he yeah. is... Yeah, he is indeed crazy. But he was. it was all based on um, 
on Mitzi and and the grooming Mitzi gave him. And I mean, I don't know. I, I like I'm very even keeled. I, I don't I don't write people off as totally crazy because people have their reasons. He never passed me. He said that to me. He's, I was like, well, listen, man, I don't need to do sets in the city. I'm only here for fucking three days. Yeah. I'm, one of the days I'm flying in. One of the days I'm flying out. So I'm only here for Tuesday. And I only did this. I only wanted to come work out here because my friends hang out here. And if that's not going to happen, that's not going to happen. Don't worry. I'm sorry to have bothered you. And then he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you? Who do you Who do you think you are that you tell me? I was like, never mind, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then uh, when I went back last time, I was with Al, and Al went up to who's booking it now. And I can't remember his name, but he's a legit fan of comedy. And he was like, dude, I would love to pass you right now. But he goes, we have a backlog of about 140 comics that have never been passed that could totally work. You're like Patton Oswalt. Like, there are there are big-name comics that that guy never liked. That And I was like, well, I'm not in that list. I was like, I appreciate it. If if I'm working on something, I'll, I'll reach out to you, and, and if I can get spots, then, like, of course. And yeah. so this, that, The passing thing is, you know, any time you give someone some power over, it's, yeah, you know, it, bookers are great and they're nice, but it's like the idea that uh, there's this massive 140 people. It's like, well, can't you just go like we'll book the guys we like when we have spots, and if Pat Oswalt wants to come down, Pat Oswalt will get a spot. Like he should get a spot. Yeah. Anywhere, the idea that they would say somebody like or like you, the the fact that he has to go your past is so, like you should go. Hey, store, I'm. Can I come by on Tuesday? If what? you give, especially if it's like, hey, can I come by not next Tuesday but the Tuesday after? They should be like, oh, totally. Yeah. It, it's not going to ruin anybody's life that Bert comes down. It's not. I mean, it's, it's also I don't sell tickets. I mean, it's not like I'm a draw. I mean, I'm a draw maybe on the road in some places. I'm not like a fucking draw. So, um, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying, and I, I'm trying to fix that in my life where I do shows in the city once a month. Yeah. Or like, like I'll do a night. I don't want to do ten minutes somewhere. I want to do like twenty or thirty minutes. But so wait. So when you write, you sit, you go to your office every day and write. I try to. Yeah. When nope. I'm in town. Yeah. <clears throat> How do you write? I sit down. It's, um, first of all, is this normal? I feel like a. I'm not. I haven't been super interesting or entertaining so Dude, far. This, I, I is this gonna be edited you, down to six minutes? No. Let's just take it down just, to six. I will only take out that at 27 minutes. We're in yeah. an hour, and this is totally normal. And if you want another cigar, you can have one. And if uh, you want a beer, you can have one. Um, <coughs> I, first of all, I'm very insecure. I, I I think your fans are gonna be upset that I'm on here. But anyway, why why would you uh, ever think that? No. First of all, the beauty of this, and I and I, I like w- a hang. Is is. My my fans, I say I have 2,500 fans, legit fans. I'm thinking about making, we're making a new shirt, a new machine shirt. It's really badass. We're making two new shirts. I'm thinking of making one shirt that is, like, expensive. Not expensive, but, like, in the price of making a shirt, like an $18 shirt Yeah. with a little different, making 2,500 of them, and then on my podcast giving out a code to those 20 because i want i want to put a number on how many people that are real fans yeah i believe i have 2500 fans i believe that um i obviously there's the down the podcast gets a lot more downloads my vlog gets a lot more downloads but i believe legit guys and so i believe if i share what i think is good with those 2500 people a thousand of them then legit go I didn't. I didn't know about him. Let me check check out Tommy John again. You are a guy that if you type in your name in YouTube and you watch any of your clips, 
they will then go, fuck, this guy's funny as shit. I wouldn't mind seeing him do an hour. And and I, I, I don't think – now, granted, my 2500 will be there for everything. And if if and when Joey Diaz and I do a, po- a podcast, <laughs> it's – I then get his 15,000. Yeah. And it and it's a huge number. But I, I believe that part of what a podcast should be is sharing good comics and good people with those people that you – that. Are your fans? Yeah, Josh Wolf had me on. <clears throat> you know Josh Wolf? I know of him. I don't know if I've ever met him. Very great, a very great guy. That I one of the re- guys I wanted to have on my podcast because I didn't know him well. I knew him in running into him, and we'd say hi and we'd talk. But I always felt he was like a legit dude, and that he had had life experiences. He had a baby when he was like nineteen or twenty. Oh my god! He had and 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 his girl was. I'm not speaking out of school. Was addicted to drugs, I think, and he ended up adopting her kid with. And then she took off, and he raised both their kids Holy on Hollywood shit. Boulevard, like fucking in an apartment. Raised all those kids, and now he's very successful. And those kids can have their college paid for, and they have a. But I thought he was fascinating, and he, I did his podcast, and he said to me, "I said I feel like I'm going to be fucking horrible." And he said, "Do not think for a second that anyone on my podcast has ever heard of you." I was like, what? He was like, I promise you it's different groups. Tell any story that you think you've told a million times, tell it again. So I told the machine story. I'm, now I'm speaking out of school and I don't give a fuck. He texted me last night and said a pro baseball player listens to his podcast and wants to go to dinner on the 3rd. So we're going to fucking dinner with a professional baseball player and that I would have never met had I not done that podcast. Uh, I would love – that's my uh, – for no, that's my – the dumbest thing I have in the back of my mind is I'd like a, a pro athlete to like my stand-up. Well, there's a few MMA guys that listen to this podcast. I don't know if you're into MMA, into UFC, yeah. but there's a few of those guys that I know that I've had on my podcast that listen to this podcast. There are guys that will say, I saw you on, I saw the, I saw him on Letterman. He was funny. What is he like just talking? And this is the, this is more, I, I believe this is more like uh, deconstructing uh, of the comedy. It's not like you don't have to do bits. Yeah. It's just a hang. I can also, you know, that's the, uh, I, I, every, every with <clears throat> on a podcast, whenever, I'm thinking of like what does the internet troll guy say, and it's like I I am you know I have the ability to like be funny hanging out. I can also do, but also that's the you know the shittiest part about being a up is like sometimes I like to have a hang you know and just we're chilling and you say something funny you do, but the goal isn't to be entertaining. It's just to kind of have a cigar and chill out. And Dude, my favorite podcasts are when. Like I love, I love the fight companions Rogan's does because it's a lot of guys talking over each other and they're all kind of, but they're all just kind of shooting the shit and they're talking about a fight I've watched or I haven't yet watched. Yeah. I love those. I used to when I first got into podcasts, I'd listen to Rogan does three hours. I'd listen to those podcasts three hours. They people would be taking pisses and I'd be like, this is the best part of the podcast. Yeah, I love when a podcast. I love starting my podcast with. No, like, hey guys, and welcome to the. Po- I love just that it's. Those are my favorite parts Start of the podcast. Lighting cigars. Yeah. So wait, when you write, but, but the, these are the things it's I'm. Boring, interested in. but I'll tell you, I I have, um, from the very beginning, I was always I wanted to do a stamp from eight years old. Really, for, as eight, because of David Letterman, and it was very. Did you get a chance to tell Letterman this? No, I I get, I wrote a note, the last time I did it because it was the last time. He was. I knew, you know, he knew he was retiring, so I had a note in the in my back pocket. It was a thank you note, and I was going to give it to him. And I got nervous. I got stuck in my suit pocket, and then I gave it to the head writer, uh, who I just have to assume he gave it to him. But Who's I don't Dangle? know. 
Uh, no, Mark um, Shift, right? Yeah. Mark Shift? I don't know. I knew this Tangle Brothers. I think his name's <coughs> Shift. Anyway, uh, still gave it to him, and I just have to assume maybe he gave it to him. But it was very clear at 8, my stepdad said, a Letterman's from Indiana, which we were from Illinois, which is the same. <laughs> and he started as a stand-up. And I go, oh, well, I'll do stand-up. And then I'll get my, I'll have a TV show. That was the goal. Like I'll do stand up and have my own show at eight from eight. And uh, I didn't know what stand up was. I didn't grow up watching stand up. I wanted to do stand up based on the fact that Letterman did it, and I'd never even seen it. So when I started stand up, it was as clean of a blank slate. We didn't get cable until I was sixteen. So like the first stand up I was exposed to was some of the half hours on Comedy Central. So wait, what year is this? That you're exposed to? I saw what was it? I started in '01. So like the first stand up I saw was. Regan's half hour in like 99 or something. I was at Regan's half hour. Were you? Uh-huh. Comedy Central did, I want to say that year, they did Dane Cook, Brian Regan. Yep, it was the first year. Yep, and I saw Brian Regan stand up, and I remember when he said, a box, a fucking, you're a serving size of of, uh, of Fig Newtons. Serving size, I eat that like a wood chipper. <laughs> if you have the bag, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. That was so, uh, which Brian Regan, uh, he's not underrated because everyone thinks he's great, but it is insanely impressive how many specials, uh, he did an album and then especially self-released a special. He self-released I Walked on the Moon before Louis self-released that. He did two hours, he did one, one year and then the very next year he did another hour before Louis did it and then he just did this live. He's done these things before anyone's ever done them. Yeah. But he just... He, and they're all great. He's the best across the board. He's the he, best. He really is fantastic. And one of the things that's cool about him, you have this ability to. And you do work clean. I don't know if you work clean consciously. And I, and I, do I think say shit a little bit now. I always talk about sex. That's yeah. the word. I had a, people say clean a lot. And I have. To, I, tr- I try to. It's somewhere on the internet. where, And I'll like still go to a club and they'll be like clean. Kind of like, please don't do that because I'll do a show. This actually happened at a, at a show. One show. Someone came by. And said, thank you for being so clean. I'm glad, you know, the comics can do this without being vulgar, blah, blah, blah. And then after they left and said that, the manager comes up and goes, hey, um, we had we had a table of 12 leave because it was too dirty. The same show. Because they talk about sex. But you're not dirty. I talk about sex a lot. Really? A decent amount. It's always on my brain. <laughs> well, I, and I also, have, I've gone through, uh, we just, I just had a huge drought year, and so... You know, when you're not having sex, you're thinking about it more than ever. <laughs> yeah. So right now, it's a lot because <laughs> I'm not having it. <laughs> um, but when I write, from the very beginning, I just realized, oh, you know what? I'm not. I'm funny, but I'm not. I will never be the funniest guy naturally. So I'll just have to outwork everyone. Like there's guys, there's guys that I look at and I go, that dude's better than me. And for some reason, it's probably a, uh, uh, it's probably bad. But I can't, I can't do it without the possibility of being better. Like I can't just be like, oh yeah, I'll be the thousandth best comedian. I have to go like, oh, if I outwork everyone, I can be one of the best. Which is not, I'm not, I'm not there yet, and I may never get there. But I have to think that. So my thing is, I just work hard in my right. I have to, for me to do an hour of new. Like by the time the hour's done, I feel like I've worked super hard outworked anyone because it's because i'm not as good it's like i have to take a million shots in the gym whereas like 
Kobe or LeBron. They work hard, but they're just naturally good at basketball. That makes that's a shitty analogy. No, that makes sense. So I go into my office and I free write from. By the way, I'm Allen Iverson. Oh yeah, I believe I am the best that ever was without practice. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I love that. I connected with Allen Iverson very quickly when he came out. I love that. Guy. I was like, I am Allen Iverson. My daughter's three, and uh, I'm trying to because she's three and she's at that age where she watch something enough she'll just repeat it and and i'm going i'm getting i'm uh teaching her the the practice press uh, conference my three-year-old and i'm gonna put cornrows in her hair when she learns it and just have a three-year-old sitting at her table being like we talking about practice not a game practice i went one of my favorite moments ever is i went seamlessly into that bit and i've never been able to recreate it i had gotten back from tanzania and i'd been hanging out with a maasai chief drinking goat's blood and he gave me a sword and he talked about how he became chief and it was a really fucking once in a lifetime experience you'll ever have yeah and i came home and i landed we get in the car my wife and daughters picked me up and i want to share the experiences i've had i want to show them the sword that i brought back from tanzania i want to tell them about swimming with great white sharks in south africa about rappelling off table mountain about yeah. all these life experiences about the helicopter I took around the, the country, about jumping off the world's tallest indoor rope swing, and then we'll talk about softball practice. And I brought it up on stage one time, and I ended up going into the Alice Iverson rant. <laughs> no one got it because it's it is it is yeah. something that's a little bit beyond. But I kept going. We're talking about practice. I'm the franchise player, <laughs> and we're talking about. I drank ghost blood with a Maasai chief. He gave me a sword. You're the we when we were talking about practice, pra- not the game, not the game. Practice. I love that fucking rant. Yeah, but that I always believed. I'm Allen Iverson, and I and I believe that sometimes I believe I see that I might end up like Allen Iverson if I don't start practicing. <laughs> yeah, you know, man, he, and fucking he, it. You should YouTube Allen Iverson highlights. It's it's better than you ever remember. It's great, um, but I you know it sounds I, I sound like an idiot. The, no, uh, anyway, but I separated my peers like you and Bill Burr and Al Madrigal. Like you guys, in my mind, you're like, well, those are the seniors. I'm a freshman. They're supposed to be better than me. So it doesn't upset me. The things that upset me, and, I, and not in a bad way, but it's like when I watch Tom Segura, it's just like, well, fuck, that guy is just better than me. Like he's just – not that he doesn't work hard, yeah. but I'm like, well, Jesus Christ, that guy. Is well, look just at his body. He doesn't work hard at anything. <laughs> <laughs> he's one where I'm like – I don't know how – I feel like we're in the same peer group. We're, we've probably been doing it around the same amount of time, and he is better than me, and uh, we're kind of buddies, and uh, I do like him, and I love his stand-up, and – but he's a guy where I'm like, I got to fucking work harder than him because I can't. It'll keep me up at night if I just think, well, that guy's going to be better than me forever. It's Which, it's interesting. I'm I'm dying to see Tom just had a baby and yeah. I'm dying to see where his writing goes. Oh, it's fucking with me because, you know, I got two kids. He's going to be stepping on all my baby shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I go to my office and I free write for about 30 minutes or an hour. Define free writing. Because I think Just a lot of people open, listen to this. I open up a notebook. The goal being not to be funny or to think of an idea, just to get your pen moving and not stop it from moving for 45 minutes to an hour. Just go. Yeah. And and and, and, and so, like... <clears throat> if it slows down, I'll go, like, fourth grade. I'll just think to myself, fourth grade, and then write. <clears throat> so you just keep writing and writing and writing. And then I will fill up a notebook over the course of a month, month and a half, two months on a slow time. And then, so at any given moment, I'm free writing in one notebook. I have a notebook that I have filled. And then once I free write for the day, I'll look through the notebook that's filled, highlight ideas that come out of that that can be premises, write them into a separate notebook. And then after I've 
ri- you know, read through that shit. I go through the premises notebook and I kind of think of them. I walk around. I listen to two sets from each week is the goal. Um, and then all that, you know, that, you know, that takes several hours a day of writing. You and do this every end, day. I try. I try. So at the end of it is the, um, you know, you'll, you'll free write. It takes uh, about five minutes a page for me. So I'll read through these notebooks that I've free written in and I'll turn 10 pages and not have one single thing highlighted. And I'll be like, well, that is 50 minutes of writing. And then you do another 10 and you're like, well, now we're at two hours. So you go like, oh, shit. And then you find that then you go through like, oh, there's four on this page. And it's all about for me, I think about half of my set comes from free writing and the other half comes from just the act of free writing and working every day turns my brain on to where when I'm driving to the store, I'm talking to my kid, I'm at the whatever. Then I'm like, oh, that's an idea and immediately put that into a notebook in my pocket and go like, oh, that's that's re- that's a premise now. So I think it's half of it comes from the free writing. So it's a lot of work and you only get half or so of the material out of it. But the other half wouldn't come if my brain wasn't always on because if I don't free write and I don't go to my office my comedy brain just kind of shuts off and I don't really really I don't find a thing like I have to be actively looking at it you do have a comedy brain I do believe that if you don't if you aren't flexing it or at least kind of kind of messing with it that it can turn off and my um I did this for the first time I uh talked to a buddy and I used to do I was like every day every day write 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 with the goal of writing and then I was thinking about, you know, do I, I was going to pitch a show, and I was like, maybe I shouldn't, but then I was like, well, I owe it to my family, because you sell a show, it's a lot, it's a big fat check. Yeah. And plus, I had an idea that I really liked, and for me, I was, you know, I've, I thought, I can't do both, I'm not Louis, I can't write a script and write stand-up. My, when my brain is focused on one, it's, it's like 95% focused on the script. So what I did was, I go, you know what, I'm going to pitch the show in September, so from, May to August, I'm just focused on stand-up. And I wrote about 30 minutes in three months. And then the started the script in September. I just finished it uh, last week. And I, I I wrote maybe one or two jokes in that amount of time, but I finished a pilot. And uh, that was the... F- I, I liked that more than I thought I would, where it's like you go with stand-up, you go like, you know what, I'm going to write my balls off for three months and get fucking everything i can out of it yeah and then while i'm touring working on the script i will be tightening that on stage so i feel like uh that may be the new process is like three months on a month or two of tightening it and then three months of writing real hard because just writing every single day with no real whatever you can you can slack off but if you go i'm only, I'm only gonna do this for three months you uh, you know i was putting in like nine to four hours every single day yeah, and it turned out a half hour, and if I can do that, I'll do an hour special and see how that goes. That's, yeah, I, 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 my thing I'm obsessed with right now is, um, I take, uh, I take, I just started saying, okay, I, I've got these like four or five stories that are really good, but I, but I, I felt like they were. A st- Ari and I had a very long. T- do you know Ari? Uh, yeah, I know. We- He's the he, every I've, every time I've met him, he's been the nicest guy ever to me. So sweetest for no guy reason, in the world. He's, he's just the guy nicest the guy world. ever to me. Um, Ari and I broke down storytelling at a breakfast, and it's like the thing that people fuck up on storytelling 
is it needs an end. Yeah. You know, it can't be like Lord of the Rings where you're like, well, wait till the next trilogy comes out. You'll like that one too. You need an end. You need a fucking, you need, uh, what's the Bruce Willis movie with the Haley Joel Osment? Sixth Sense? You need a Sixth Sense ending. Yeah. When the ru- when, when, and not to go back to this, but when the cop says to me, so I understand you're the machine, bam, that story's over. Uh, I, yeah. I ate dinner. That was my dessert. So I started looking thematically at how stories are told. I, I started looking at great stories. One of the best stories ever told by anyone is Ron White. Tater? When he tells you the end of that story, but you don't know it's the end, and then you get it at the end, I went, that's fucking genius. So yeah. I started saying... That the reason that story is great isn't the story. The story's not. I mean, the story's, the story's a good story. I, I mean, it's get kicked out of a bar and getting arrested when you're young, but it's the way he crafted it. It's beautiful, and it's beautiful the way he crafted it. And I don't know if he crafted it that way on purpose or it just happens that way. But man, I got obsessed with that, so I started focusing on story I liked, like ways that people would tell story. And I was like, all right, let's do that with my. I have a really great story about when I got. Uh, I got uh I got in trouble in basketball camp by I got scolded by Ralph Sampson uh for like an hour. Yeah. In front of five thousand kids. I just got chastised for an hour in front of them, standing up. I was thirteen years old, eleven, twelve years old. <clears throat> the the punchline of the joke, the the reason I liked the story was that he had, he had not not to tell the story, but it was a basketball camp. And he just said, we're going to talk about discipline. Who in here parties? I was a kid. I thought we were all going to raise our hands. <laughs> so I put my hand up. I was the only one that raised their hand. And this is true to the extent where I like, I couldn't write this differently. And this will speak to the, the time it was. But he said, uh, how do you party? I'd never partied in my life. And so my only thing I knew how to say was hardy. And he said, you party hardy? <laughs> and <clears throat> the place lost it. So I said, okay, I like that part of the story. Yeah. Now, how do I tell... How do I how do I reconstruct that story? I don't want to lie. I don't want to change the story. But how do I? And that was what my I was stuck on is is I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie. Oh uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't want to. I'll tell the truth. I'll tell the truth, and my truth may b- differ from the facts. The facts may be very mundane, but I will accentuate my facts in 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 that truth so that it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I now that's where my head's at. So now. I find myself, I find that solo podcasting helps you work out material. I've thought about it just because of Burr's, where I'm like, Jesus, I bet he turns over so much material because of that. And my, that's the thing where, as, as, as growth, where I, I'm like 14 years in, and I feel like that's, you know, that's the phase of growth I'm in now, where I find one thing, I free write, and I find one thing in this free writing that I go, okay, I, I can turn that into three or four minutes. I can't tell 12 minute stories, but. I can turn three in four minutes, and mine when I tell one, it's it's. Uh, there's, I like to think there's a beginning, middle, and end, and there's just a shitload of tags. Like I keep, I keep it real tight. Even you're if it's really a story. good at tags. I keep it tight because of the insecurity of I don't I don't feel like anyone wants to listen to what me was, on stage without. Uh, what was the story? Laughing. What was the story? This is a very old story of yours, but going to the strip club, and you go and the all I remember the joke is you and I, I like. You, you would take, you take off next? Yeah, that is my favorite. Oh, that's an old, old one. That is one of my favorite. My glasses? <laughs> it was an ugly stripper. Yeah. And she said, what do you want the me to classic, take off next? Uh, classic old one. And then um, 
uh, I'm the same way as you. I don't want to veer from the truth. I'll tell the truth yeah. in the story. There's, you know, there's things where I'd love to be able to tell a longer one with. I I never want to veer away from the tags and keeping it like a punchy story. I'd like to, you know, Chappelle can tell a story and you're you're on the edge of your seat even though he's not making you laugh every thirty seconds. But I like to go. Oh, there's a bunch of laughs in here. Yeah. So it'll be worth it even if you don't dig it. And I have a story. That I've told on and off about going to the gynecologist when I was 13 on accident, <laughs> and uh, it's ju- like it's now it's back in. I it's it, it was like a bonus track hidden on an album, but it's like uh, if I do a special next year, I'll put that story in because I've made it better and it's got a beginning, middle, and an end. And it's it's you know it's like you were saying there's uh you definitely don't see it coming type thing. And yeah, um, it's the the biggest thing is which I glanced over it for some reason which I. If I if I were better, I would talk about like the my dad going through having calling me and being like I have four months, I have six months to live, and then that six month period, and then on to the the end of it. There's a lot of funny things which I was telling in the moment when it was like super raw. I was telling it on stage, and it was funny. It was getting laughs. But now, not that I'm over it. It's very sad still, but I'm not feeling it as much. So I feel like if I tell it now. Like you were saying, with there may be some audience members that it gets sad. They went through it. I don't know if I'm good enough to tell that story with the risk of people getting sad and, and not being – because it's – as, as crazy as it sounds, there were a ton of funny things that happened over the course of – I get a call one day. I've got – the doctor says uh, – um, he says that the hop uh, – the hop, Hospice nurse is coming. He, he's, he's this very southern guy. He doesn't pronounce hospice right. Yeah. So uh, you have to kind of translate from backwoods southern. Where it's that moment where you're like hop, hopus, hopus, hop, hospice. Oh, you, oh, you're dying. <laughs> like it, you, like you, it hit hopus. me. I was like trying to figure out the word he's saying. I got like, it. Yo, you nailed it. it. Oh shit, that's not a good one. <laughs> um, but it, and then he's because he was such a funny dude. And when I was telling it on stage, the way I got into it was my dad called and he said that he had six, that he was dying, and he had six months to live. And I go down there, and he was making jokes, and he was laughing. And the line I used is, I thought, you know, well, if, if he's dying, and he can laugh about it, and he can make people laugh about it, then I'm way funnier than this asshole. <laughs> so I should be able to do it too. Yeah. Like, let a professional get his hands on this cancer thing. <laughs> let me see what I can do with it. And uh, I'm just afraid to tell. I'm just afraid to talk about it. It's just a real. uh, I'm afraid to talk about it because of what the audience will do. Like if it it'll if it will just suck or it will be just sad. But there's funny things. Like I called him one day in the middle of it. I go, "How are you doing?" And he goes, "I'm doing good. Uh, Bleeding out of my eye a little bit." (laughs) And then he just goes, how are you doing? And I go, well, I was going to say good, but you've just dramatically changed the definition of that. So I think I'm having the best day ever. I'm not bleeding out of anywhere. There's so blood coming out of my eyeball. That's good to you now? Wow. It's a real, it was a crazy time. And, it's, you know, I would love to be able to talk about it. That's like my next, every time I get on stage, I'm like, maybe I'll do it this time. But then I puss out. Really? Yeah. What kind of cancer was it? It was he is a guy that never uh you know, he would he loved attention. He was like a really funny guy. So he he would get attention by being funny and kind of doing whatever, but when things like this happened, he would always downplay them. 
So we never knew what it was. And also, he's kind of a decent liar. So oh, he, really? He would, yeah, yeah, yeah. So hence the stepfather. Yeah, yeah. It was a philander and a liar, but he was he <coughs> was a great guy. He's hilarious, and we were decently close my whole life. But he uh, he's the type of guy that he called and he would say, oh, "I've I think uh, the doctor said I might have cancer on my kidney." And because he's told enough lies up to that point, you're like, really? Which is not the way you're supposed to react. So when he called and said he had stage four, and it's in, it was like in his lungs, in his colon, in his kidney, and it was all over. So I don't even know where it started, which is pretty important information when you're genetically tied to someone. <laughs> I should know. I should know where to start the search. Um, so it's like getting a treasure map. Yeah, yeah. And there's a big hole burned in the center. Oh no, no. There's a, oh, I see the X. There's a. Should I have someone look at my ass or no? <laughs> you, just, you tell me that. So it was just Where did all you over start his body. Itching first? Yeah, this <laughs> my the craziest part, <laughs> which I didn't know this about cancer, where he gets there, he's like, it's in my lungs and my my kidney. They took out a kidney, and it's in my colon, and they think it's spreading. And I go, well, where is it now? And he goes, oh, they stopped checking. So at some point, when you get bad enough, they're like, well, if I can. We're not wasting the man hours. It's everywhere, man. Yeah. You think it's in your bones. Let's just say it's there. It's probably there. If it's not, it will be in a week when we yeah. get the test results back. There were like a thing of like, do, how do we know if it's, how do you know if it moves? Because when it moves to their brain, it gets pretty bad because yeah. they can forget who they are. And like that's when the, the they start to lose the person behind the eyes. And we were just like afraid of that happening because he would hate it and everything. But uh, we're like, how do you know when it you know, when it goes to the brains, do we, like, do scans? And they go, no, like, if you come over and he doesn't know who you are, it's in the brain. That's just all they – that's how they do it. Holy shit. It gets pretty brutal. Lemmy died yesterday. I saw that. And I was – that's always – he's always been one of my canaries in the mine. Okay. Not not that I smoke, but, you know, big drinking. Yeah. Uh, he's always been was one. Was he 70? 70. I mean, I guess, you know, at 70, did you – I mean, I don't know. Did 70 old? Is it nowadays? I mean, I think 70's young, but – my family, my dad was 61. That's about average Smoke? for my family. Smoked his whole life. Packs and packs of cigarettes. Really? Yeah. He he, uh, he was a truck driver, so he, in the 70s, before I was born, I think he was big on like speed and drinking and stuff. He quit drinking by the, by the late 80s, so he just never drank, really. Smoked a bunch, and then um, uh, I think it probably started in his lungs. Yeah. My fa- is my favorite guest because <laughs> he smoked. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I should have the doctor look at my butt or something. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about going on Propecia, and they and, and is they that said, a hair thing? Yeah, my hair just started thinning. Tommy, right when my dad Tommy, started, I, it's a stress thing. No, my doctor said maybe stress. Genetic. Your hair's not thinning at all. For the record. Oh really? Uh, for for the record, your hair's not thinning at all. What's under your hat? You have a nice little curl under there. Oh yeah, it's, that's yeah. a male pattern. And so it's, and I've I've been using Rogaine for twenty three years. What? Yeah, I just started using it. I've been using it for twenty three years, and I had a lump on my head, and I went in to get it biopsied. It was scary. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, and I thought I traded vanity for a life, and I was like, I had had that moment where I was in the shower going, "This really stinks." If I if it was just hair. No, but then maybe I wouldn't have had the life I had. Maybe I would never have been on television. Maybe I'd—I don't know what, how, what would, what would be the trade-off? I don't know if anybody put you on TV because of your hair. Uh, I think hair matters. You got great facial hair, though. 
yeah, oh yeah, but I got that because I'm fat. Yeah. Maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know. And so I just started going through it. It came back negative, but there was the scare. It cut something off your head? Yeah. Holy shit. You still see it. It's a big scar. Um, what's Propecia? Does that fuck up your kidneys or something? Well, no. Your lungs? No. Propecia fucks with your dick. Really? Yeah, and, I, and I'm trying to work a bit out of this in the extent that I'm very sexually active with my wife. My wife's 45. On paper, that's not supposed to be, like, yeah. uh, desirable. When your kids were young, did you guys stop for a minute? Yeah. Yeah, well, we're done. Done done? Not done on purpose. Done done because I, 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 I have a thing written in my book that never has worked on stage. No, it's Ari Shafir. There's some gossip going on. Oh. And we're uh, sharing in the gossip. I'll tell you all about it as soon as this is over. Uh, we did it twice last year. Propecia? Sex. Oh. <laughs> twice, twice last year? All year. So the thing I wrote. January it, and December. It's in, my, it's in my book. It's like the first thing that I want to figure out this joke. But it is too mean. But it is very accurate. Uh, women, men love you because we show you all our broken things and you decide to have sex with us. Like all the sad part, that's a very vulnerable side to a man is when you say, this is it. This is what my dick looks like small. This is what I perform like when I'm bad. This is what I perform like when I'm drunk. And you accept us for that and you have sex with us. And for that, we love you. However, if you stop having sex with us, we stop loving you. Because that is the truth. When when a woman decides they don't yeah. want to have sex with you, a man literally starts saying, this isn't fair. I didn't sign up for not having sex. It isn't fair. I've tried that, uh, versions of that on stage, how it's not only is it unfair, it's crazy that it's accepted as fair to go, we get into a relationship, both of us want to have sex with each other, and that's it. We don't want to have sex with anyone else. Yep. And then one of us says, I don't want to have sex anymore. So my thought is, so at, at that point, if we're not having sex, one party is happy and the other party is unhappy because one party just isn't wanting to have sex and the other party's wanting to, so they're unhappy. And, the one, and then I look at it as if the man, this is very bad, if the man were to sleep with someone else, he is just getting the thing that he's missing from home. Yep. But if the woman is to sleep with someone else, she's getting something she could get at home, but she's choosing to get it elsewhere. Yes. It's unfair. It's very uh, unfair. I, I then propose the fact, so sex doesn't f- define our relationship. What defines our relationship? We're partners. We're partners. We buy a, we bought a house together. We have these children yeah. together. So, but I, I could start a company with, a f- with Al Madrigal called All Things Comedy. He could call me up and say, I'd like you to be a partner in this company. And I'd be, of course. And I could not consult you at all. I could actually never run it by you. You could have no clue that I'm doing this with Al. Yeah. And then when you find out one day at Al's Christmas party, oh, yeah, all things comedy, Al and Bill are the starters of it. Me, Ari, and Tom Segura are are uh, partners in it with him as well. We help make the – oh, shut up. That's so cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I meant to tell you about it, but I never told you about it. But we're partners. So it's okay with me to take some of my money or to take all of the money I'd earn from my podcast and, and give it back to that company, and you don't care. But we're business partners. You said that. But God forbid – I choose one night to fuck a stripper that you'd never know about. Mm-hmm. But if I told you, and that's not a big part of your relationship. Sex is not important to you in that no. way. But this one little thing that has nothing to do with the partnership we've, that you hold a, like you'd, yeah. like, and I, and it's, I. It, if you do it that way, it's, it's all, that dog is huge. Yeah. 
All she's it going, is she's not coming out is masturbating with a person. It, there's no emotion. There's no. I'm not going to leave my family. I'm not going to. That's the. If it's if you have sex with a stripper one night, it's Pass all you've letter. done is is you've gotten a physical need. Yeah. Uh, you fulfilled something, and, I, and I'm not. Pro- I, I've never cheated on my wife. I will never cheat on my wife. I'm the problem is, and this is m- where I'm at. Yeah, you can see the flaws in something without acting on them. Yeah, and the, the thing I'm at, the thing that's frustrating to me is, and the, where my quandary lies. Propecia kills your sexual drive. Now, I have a sexual drive to a woman who's 45 years old who's had two kids. Yeah. On paper, that's not. That's not. That's not. That's not jumping off the lot right away. That's going to be something someone wants to bring home and work on. You know, that car is yeah. going to sit in the back for a while. Well, let me show you what I do have for the price you're looking for. But I'm still into that. I'm still into that. I'm afraid if I draw back my sexual desires and through Propecia and my sexual, you know, that comes, that reverses, that then I will only be interested in the cars on the lot that would jump off the lot because oh, they're up front. Oh, that's interesting. And so I, that's I didn't know I'm, if it would drop across the board. I don't know. I don't know if it, if it drops across the board. I'm completely fine with that. Yeah. I don't need. I don't need to go on the road with a hard dick. I would be healthier. I would feel fine if it just dropped across the board. Across the board. My fear is, it's like, hey, uh, when you say say you're on speed and your appetite drops eighty percent, you start thinking about the stuff you don't. No one's eating broccoli on speed. Yeah. You're like, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have like some a little bit of lobster. Yeah. This lobster's really good, and I'm not that hungry, but I know it's going to taste good, and I'm not hungry, so maybe I want to eat a little more, and I know I need to eat something. Do chicks just want to bang the machine? No one. I mean, I have had, I've had offers. I've definitely had yeah. offers. I bet uh, your offers are pretty uh, – it's not just like, oh, this kind of attractive girl wants to sleep with me. It's like these two hot chicks want a story. No. That's what I would assume. You need to go? No, no, no. My watch just buzzed. Oh, okay. Um, I'm free all day, buddy. I'm uh I'm really enjoying this conversation. The I will I will say I'll say this: the girls that have wanted to sleep with me, I think do it because they're broken and they look at me as a dad with some stability. Yeah, and always younger. Always younger. Always Although younger. I've had a lot like my wife's age that are slamming usually in like Arizona, that are yeah. like like I've had I've had I've had ones where. Casey, did yeah. we talk about Casey? Yeah, yeah. This is good. This is when the trash truck comes by and the dogs are losing their mind. Casey had to tell a girl to leave the green room that he has a wife and you need to leave now. Wow. I, I told her, hey, listen, I, I don't want to go back to my hotel room and get high. It's not who I am, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, I'm married. And if it, like if I w- did want to get high, I'd probably do it with a guy. Yeah. But I'm not going to do it with you because there's nothing good that comes out of this. Oh, that's not what I'm looking for. Oh, like, no, no, no. That's and, dangerous. And I said, no, yeah, but I still I can't. Well, then well, at least we'll just hang out. And I was like, you know what? I'm married. And I, I, I can't do any of this. I'm really sorry. No, no, no. I, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not in the case. He was like, no, I, I think he's asked you to leave, and you need to leave. He's married with two kids, and he's faithful to his wife, and I'm just helping him out in this situation. Scored her out of the club. Wow. It's a uh, – it, my chick's 42, still super hot, uh, but just – you know, her thing is she is not one, you know, she needs, like, the romance and the kissing and the two glasses of wine. or not, But just, like, she needs, not necessarily foreplay specifically, but just, like, she needs to clear her mind. And before we had kids, we would do it in the morning 
like almost every morning sometimes where that's when her mind was super clear and she was but then the kid my three-year-old comes into her bed at night at about two in the morning sometimes sometimes yeah. later and then now we have a brand new baby and she was pregnant most of the year last year well you're not going to get laid with a brand new baby anywhere no it's just it's really it, difficult i have to which i'm glad you said you had a same situation when they were kids because I have to, in my mind, I have to go like, we're gonna do it again, right? Like maybe never, yeah. no, no, never. Once, once they rate, my wife. I wish I, she could come out here and tell you about this, but my wife said to me one time, "Listen, when the kids are in school, it'll be totally different." And I went, "I, I can't wait. I can't wait for that." Yeah, that's that's what you're talking about. What are we talking about? Fucking five, five years? years? She goes, "No, no, no, no. Once we get them in preschool, once the kids are up and running." But right now, I don't have the time. And I was like, I know, but you need to understand. I, mean, I, I threw temper tantrums. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, that's why I listen to the, there's I listen to guys that are violent with their wife. I'm like, violent? The fuck, man? Don't you just throw a temper tantrum and fucking storm off into the kitchen and drink in front of her hard? I, do, I, I stopped talking. I stopped talking, too. I realized a couple years ago, I was like, there's no reason we have to talk every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, I don't need to talk to you every day. Once a month. We don't have to talk every day. That's a crazy thing. So I'll I'll not talk to her, if, and we rarely have things, but, you know, I would say the majority of them are sexual related. Even the ones that aren't directly related to sex, it's like I wouldn't have reacted that way to what you said if I was if I was laid healthily. You know, like yeah. if I had just had sex, I would have been like, yeah, I'll pick up the clothes. Now, what about like blowjobs, nothing? No, 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 no. No, wait, no. Now, it is, there is, but it is hormonal. They go through this hormonal. The other she thing, says she's like, I want it. Believe me. She's like, I wish we were, but I just, I'm, she's, we're like tired and I can't and whatever. It's that, it, there is truth to that in that they do become overwhelmed with the parenting. Yeah. Because there is a lot. Is she breastfeeding? No. But oh. the kid sleeps in our bed, the new baby. Oh, uh, you got to get that. In Stop that imme- yeah, yeah. immediately. I told, because uh, our three-year-old will come in our bed in the morning, which is when we used to have sex. And now the baby sleeps in our bed at night, which that's eliminated both both ends. So I was like, we, we either have to get these kids out of our bed or we have to dramatically change the way we're raising them <laughs> and be like, you got to be cool with this. It's about to happen. <laughs> I think I think one of the one of the things that happened for me and my wife sexually, we got a lot more. Oh, that's perfect. Um <laughs> We got a lot more, um, we blossomed when Isla was probably two. That's the youngest? Yeah. And I, when she, and then one, and then one day, I remember this, like it was yesterday, we dropped Isla off at preschool, George off at, I want to say kindergarten. And we came home, I want to say it was the first fucking day. And we had sex, and we laid in the bed like adults are supposed to. Yeah. And we didn't, like, have sex and then clean up and then go, let's get out of the closet and make sure they haven't drowned in the bath. Yeah. And that was my big thing is when they were in the bath, I'd be like, they're fine. Let's go in the closet real quick. <laughs> She'd be like, what if they hear me? And the joke was, listen, if our fucking two-year-old knocks on the door is like, dad, are you banging mom? I'll stop. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, I am I am very temper tantrumy with sex because I said, listen, I committed sexually to one person. I didn't commit not to have it. I committed to share it with you, only you. Yeah. It, my chick just it, it would never do it in a closet. She can't She can't do a quickie. And then I've done it with her in those, like, those, where, like, we don't have a lot of time. Let's hurry up and do it. 
And she doesn't hide the fact that she's not into it, and it's awful for me. It's like uh, watching a kid eat broccoli. It's the worst. <laughs> she just she won't. She'll be like, "Yeah, you can have sex with me, but I'm going to look like this, uh, like squinty and not looking at you." Leanne does this. No, Leanne does this. Like uh, when she didn't want to have sex, she'd do this face. It drove me nuts. It was, uh, it was. Just <laughs> while you're doing it, yeah, like ah, uh, eyes up, like like eyes scanning. Okay, the is room. this hap- Are you almost done? Are we wrapping it up? But now I found. I found that it is better for me to have sex when we can really share the moment and build to it. Yeah. And then the quickies. I stopped with the quickies. Although I had one in the garage the other day, but Oh, it's fantastic. Now when you say two times a year, are you saying like legit two times a year or like is that an we did overstatement? It in, we did it in January. <laughs> and I then uh, how often, How many of your free writing pages were about sex? <laughs> oh, so many of them. So we do it in January. <laughs> and then two weeks ago, we're in bed, and I go, and you know, I just kind of go, I know you're tired, and I know um, what blah, 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 and it's not it's not your fault. I go, but um, I don't know if you know this, but we haven't had sex since January, and it's almost January. <laughs> I go, so I can't even say I haven't had sex since January if we go another two weeks, I'll say I'll ha- we haven't had sex since January, and people will be like, oh, it is January. <laughs> and I'll be like, no, the other one. Like the, the. And she was like, oh, my God, really? She didn't even notice it. Really? And I was like, yeah. And then we just did it that night, and it was it was good. But now, did she basically ch- did it out of just to, like, get it done before January. <laughs> she was like, We oh, beat shit. it like a tax it's deadline. Tax season. <laughs> yeah. No, wait. Is, does your chick have a job? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that that's also... So she has a job, you know, she stresses about work, and, um, yeah, I don't totally blame her, and, you know, now, I, you know, I rent this office, and I go into my office, and use it, to, it's just a place to masturbate. <laughs> it's a place I write and masturbate now. <laughs> it's amazing, the places I've gotten comfortable masturbating. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've never masturbated in my man cave. I maybe have once. I actually, I have once. Yeah, I have big windows once. here. I know, big way windows. I had once, we dropped the girls off at school, and I, I came into Leanne, and I was like, hey, uh... Like, by the way, and, and someone said something about, I heard some comics say, like, it was Pete Corielli, he's a friend of mine, but he's like, we don't just, I don't, I'm not like, hey, you want to have sex? I what am I, a fucking animal? I romance her, I turn her on. Pete, I think, has a very sexual, active, you know, like, a fun mm-hmm. life. But I, I'm, because I would throw temper tantrums, I got past the point of trying to have sex, because I would be shot down, and then I'd, my feelings would get hurt, mm-hmm. and what I would do is I'd just ask her. I'm like, hey, does, do you think this is possible? Because if it is, then I'll turn it on, but if it's not, I need to know now. When I'm not emotionally committed to it. Yeah. So I went in the other day and I said, hey, the girls are school. I know you have therapy, but do you think maybe she was like, and I said, no, listen, it's cool if you don't want to. But I said, I'm going to go jerk off in the man cave. So just promise you won't come back. And she was like, okay. And I was like, "Uh, this is the first time that's ever happened. Yeah. I stopped trying. That's part of my set right now is that I don't try anymore. I go to bed and it's not great, but I sleep better. You sleep better when you're not trying to have sex with somebody. Yeah. So that's you know that was the biggest thing. It's like from you know January we do it in January for months. I kept trying and getting shot down, and then you're like it's fucking brutal. So I just stopped trying. And yeah. she never initiates it. She's never once initiated it. Well, she, in in her defense, and I'll say this have, as being married to someone in that position, you know, where you have two kids and they're close in age and and they really need you. It's like I think hormonally nature secretes something in a woman at that time that says. I really want Leanne to come out and give her fucking insight about it. So it would be really helpful. But um, let's text her and see if she's... Fine. Are you guys the same age? 
No, Leanne's older. How old are you? 43. Yeah, yeah my chick's 42. How old are you? 32. So she's 10 years older? Yeah, yeah. nine years. I'll be 40. I'll be 33. Whatever. If I'm um, Let's see if I can get her to come out. But, like, there is something hormonally that happens with them where they, where it's almost like nature says to them, hey, I can't, I, I, I can't give you the, the, the juice in your body that you, that you need to have sex because if I did, you might forget about your kids. Type thing. There's something. It's definitely not. Hey, can you come out for two seconds, not let the dogs out, and talk to me and Tommy? Okay. All right, don't bring the girls, and don't bring the dogs out. Tommy's afraid of dogs. Terrified. All right. All right, bye. Why are you afraid of dogs? I got attacked a bunch when I was a kid. A bunch? Uh, Three times a bunch. (laughs) It's more than twice. Uh, I was attacked (laughs) by one. My first one, everyone was like, oh, you're afraid of dogs. They try to blame you. I don't hate dogs. I'm just afraid of them. So uh, it was my cousin's dog. I was down visiting my dad this <laughs> summer. My cousin, dog I knew and played with, I was playing water gun fights with her, and the dog just attacked me, right? So then they were like, you know, just like anybody does, which I think is wrong, is like, hey, that was a one-time thing. Come <laughs> back around the dog tomorrow. Everything will be fine. And then it bit me in the ass. <laughs> so then my dad, this is, the, this is the type of person my dad is, he's like, all right, I know how to fix this. <laughs> Get your BB gun, and we'll drive by, and you can shoot the dog with the BB gun. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think I want to. So I pumped this BB gun up and do a drive-by and pick this dog. I hit him in the hind, in the hind quarter yeah. and fucking yelps. And now I've been attacked by a dog, and I have the emotion of shooting a dog, which is very sad. Like, I felt terrible. So I, I think that moment was just the full circle of, like, oh, I'm just, I shouldn't be around dogs. Because my dad's solution was to hurt it, and it was bad. <laughs> Hurting a dog's not fun for a kid. This is really I wish a sad I'd moment. Met your dad. Leanne's coming to feed her chickens. Um, yeah, Joey Diaz said he'd been attacked by dogs six times his first week in this country. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "How are you? Hey, sit, 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 your, sit down over here for a sec, because that's your blocking shots." Ow, I've been cramping up lately. I think I'm dehydrated. Um, oh. So we're talking about sex uh, and and the infrequency of having it, and and uh, and Tommy was saying that really cold. He's got yeah, it is pretty cold out here. My, I, my I'm all right. I got um, a nice heater. And so and I had said that Tommy's uh, wife is 42. She is. They have a, a two month old. We have a uh, four four month old and a three year old. So in, and the last time he had sex was January. No, or the, December. December because well January and December we did it twice. 2015. Wait a minute. Wait. Hang on. Wait. This December, like this month. So she, she, she got pregnant in de- last December. So we did it when she was a month pregnant in January. She was, she didn't know she was pregnant. So my theory is she was trying to get pregnant because we were trying to have a kid. So she didn't know that she was pregnant in January. So she snuck one in as a safety, and then we didn't do it again until two weeks ago. For the year. So I'm she was pregnant sure. most oh, of the year. What I was trying to say was. <laughs> He was, was trying to say it gets better. I am terribly honest, and so I don't know how honest you want me to be. Oh, be honest. No, it's no, it's really. It, no, I it's, can take it all is, of it. It is very honest, but but well, hang on one it second. It is a long time. But it is a long time. But I was saying there is something that happened to us when, like right after Isla was born, where where there was a, an, a definite infrequency, and then you kept saying. Oh, don't worry. When the girls get up and running and in school, it'll happen a lot better. And I remember you kept. I remember the first time we had sex, and you were like, "See, isn't this better? Now we can lay in bed, and we don't have to like hustle to go get a diaper on somebody." And so, but t- speak to Tommy if you could. 
about the feelings that go through a woman pregnant and then after childbirth hormonally were were because I remember I kind of forced not forced it on you but like I that sounds aggressive but I definitely was like it was an aggressive um an aggressive um um request yes Getting constant. constant. I went constant for the first few months. Yeah. And hers, she had a, you know, migrainey, sick first trimester. Mm -hmm. I'm also touring, so I'm on the road. Um, I don't think that she was cheating. I think that everyone would be like, oh, twice in one year she's probably cheating on you. I don't think that because she was pregnant. Um, And also, if she was cheating on me, the fact that I don't think it means that she did her job. That's all I I want is if, if she is sleeping with someone else, just don't let me suspect it. Just hide it well. But... Uh, I was talking to Bert about does it get better, mm-hmm. the fact that uh, right now the excuse is currently too tired, new baby's in her bed, mm-hmm. old baby comes into her bed at like 2 in the morning. So we have a very full bed. Okay. So I, from the very beginning, was like, that's not going to happen. Because the kids in the bed? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I read a book a long time ago. I don't even remember what the book was. Way before I had kids, maybe even before I knew Bert, that had talked about the sanctity of your marriage and that yeah. being like you and your husband being the team and the kids like our second, even from birth. Yeah, we don't have that. Well, that's what my point of view was. Like if, if I let them in the bed, they're never getting out of the bed and there's never going to be any sex. That was my point of view. That's all I now, think of it. That's it's gone. <laughs> it's but, I mean, the semantics of that, I don't know how people do that. Like how we have friends who have um, seven- and nine-year-olds who still sleep with them. And I'm thinking, when do you – fuck, when? And when? You can't get – Yeah. You can't. You can't. I mean, we just go to the bathroom. How – She is a, she's opposed to any version of a quickie. So is Leanne a little bit. Well, let me say this. Okay. She needs a little neck kissing, brain clearing, yeah. touching and stuff. Yeah. Well, I have two feelings. One is I understand how she feels. You're wiped out. You're yeah. exhausted. I, I didn't want to give anything to anybody. And then and, and some days, including my two children, I wanted to, like, curl in a ball and have no one touch me, talk to me, look at me as if I were not in the world. It's mm-hmm. really overwhelming, especially when your husband travels as much as comics do. And she works. And I worked, too, until Isla was four. So... I didn't want anybody talking to me. I was just overwhelmed. The flip side of that is that I kind of had had to make myself push through was that you have to still take care of all of these people, but your marriage as well. And part yeah. of that is, is sexually. So there were times that I had little to no interest, did not want this going on, had no was not turned on didn't want it to happen and would do it anyway and by the time it was over i go i'm so glad i did that that's really what i needed we're just to the point where she's acknowledged like yeah i see that this is a problem which as weird as that sounds it's not as good as sex but it's the yeah it's the closest thing we have right now it's right. her being like we should fix this right where i said that forever right now but he's all there is a he is 10 years 10 years younger than her so, th- so his appetite's going to be I naturally see. hungrier than hers. Right. Yeah. Maybe I should take Propecia. <laughs> Get rid of all the sex drive. Well, I don't know. I think it is a hard time. And if everybody can kind of try and put themselves in the other person's place as much as possible, mm-hmm. I think that's probably the healthiest thing you can do. Like if she can put herself in your position and go, 
you know what, he's he went from being number one to being number three. You know, and maybe he needs to be number one. We gotta get this baby out of the bed. You She's really attached to the bed. new baby more more than um, I think partly because I was uh, I made a couple bad jokes when we were I was like I don't know uh, if I'm and I, I I thought we had a I thought we had a great thing with one baby. Uh huh. I was like yeah maybe we'll try for another one. And then I was like, do you think that she, after she was pregnant, I was like, maybe this kid will like ruin everything because we have a good thing. Maybe the, this new kid will ruin it all. And um, and then I'm at one point, I can't remember if she was pregnant or if the baby was out. But I said, um, you know, if shit gets bad, like I'll just take I'll take the old baby and take the new baby. Like, right. We'll just split it. Half I'm like half. super attached to the old one. I don't even know this new one. How oh, funny. And uh, she's like really, really attached. I think attached to that kid in almost like a, a maternal way of she not that she takes me seriously when I said that, but she has like, oh, I got to I have to do everything for this baby. She doesn't ask me to do anything. She does everything with this kid changes her and not. I, did all, I didn't do anything. We for the first one. I did all the you know, I just made diapers as I could. I watched her, held her, blah, blah. I've barely been left alone with this new baby. Why? I think she's she's really has some something inside of her that says oh i'm i have to make sure to do all of this because he's not into her i'm not attached to her yet i attach to the old <laughs> one immediately you are you just don't know it no hold on was the, was the first one a boy the, no two girls two girls yeah, yeah. i was at, i was more attached to georgia than isla uh, visibly and and physically like well, what happens too when you have two is you have to divide and conquer a little bit yeah so the i come home i go up, old baby it, well yeah, the dad. Yeah, the dad. I've never even met Isla until she was two. <laughs> as soon as I walk in the door, I'm in, I'm playing dress up and having a tea party. That's right. And then you take this new because, one because it's more. E- it's easier for you. It's less work for the. Well, the it's one easier for her too. The one that's talking, you can just go. Hey, what do you want to do today? Let's go hang out. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, right? You have to organize schedules and feedings and whatever for each of them, right? Because they're different. So if I don't know if your wife's is she breastfeeding? No, with formula. Okay, so I was breastfeeding, so there was no like, hey Bert, how about you take that one? Because uh, clearly the yeah. kid's not eating. So that was a more. She's kind of super scheduled. Yeah, so I was too. Where, uh, you know, for her to give me this baby, she would have to be like, feed her at this time, nap her at this time, do this, do this, take her back. So to her, I think it's easier to go like, I know this. Better exactly. than you do. I think that is right. Which I'm fine with. That's what I did pretty much because uh, Bert was like, you guys I'll, go do whatever. Yeah. And and I got Isla because you can't breastfeed her, so I'm going to keep her I'll on get to know schedule. this new baby eventually. <laughs> it's a point. Yeah. It, it, literally, I would, I would say that my relationship with Isla blossomed when she turned two. My relationship with Georgia blossomed when she turned two because we had Isla. Right. And I started saying, oh, I got you, George. And George, yeah. I mean, to this day, George is my little buddy. I just put her in a car seat. You could deal with her. You could talk to her. You could walk around with her. You could get her a cookie. You could, like, there was shit you could do with her that was so user-friendly. And then I bring Isla and be like, you're fucking killing our buzz. Like, yeah. you, everyone, you gotta, you're crying? George is not crying. She's digging a hole. Like, and, and, <clears throat> and honestly, and I'll say this, and Leanne knows this, I would say my relationship with Isla really, really started blossoming about a year ago. She really started going... Oh, dad's going, oh, this does suck. Yeah, but Isla was, Isla's a special circumstance. She wasn't really, Georgia was really communicative, 
like really verbal, really early. And you could talk to her and she could understand it. I has like legitimate processing problems. So you could say, hey, don't touch that on fire stick. And she didn't understand what you're saying. Oh. Because she has processing problems. So yeah. you couldn't communicate with her like you could communicate with Georgia, who was like superior at communication. Yeah. So I think that was a big part of it was that you could say, hey, Isla, let's be like moderately safe in what we're doing. Yeah. And she'd be like, whatever, I'm, I'm walking off this thing. And you're, uh, you know. I have two stories of Isla where I would say, don't do this as a baby. And by the way, I like, like. And I, anyone who has does not have kids will not understand what we're saying. They're like, how can you not love them both the same? You love them both the same, but it's just you connect with one easier than yeah. the other one. The usually the younger one as a male, it's just it's just is the way we operate. And women, it's sometimes it's flip flopped. You're like, now I got to focus on this one because it's brand new to this world. But with Isla, I remember cutting up jalapenos and I sat them on the table. I said, do not touch those. And she went, okay. And then went over and grabbed one and put it in her mouth and then walked up to me crying and just very sheepishly go, did I eat poison? And I was like, <laughs> you fucking idiot. And I, then, of course, yeah. in my parenting, I was like, yeah, you did. And I, you should listen to your dad. Drink some milk. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think I think there is a awakening that a mom has once the baby is up and running that will re-blossom your sexual relationship. Yeah. I need That's that. That's true. But you, I mean, once they're in school or in preschool, then you have like some space. But your wife works. Yeah. So she goes to a job. Like yeah, I work yeah. from home. She, she, yeah. That's the thing is when the old three year old, when she was in her crib, it was fine. Cause she was in her crib. Yeah. yeah. And we could do whatever we wanted when she's in her crib. I feel like maybe once this new baby gets in her crib. Got it. I don't know when the, our three-year-old's going to stop coming into our room, if ever, but she comes in our room anywhere between 2 and 6 in the morning. So if we can stop that. Leanne was like fucking Himmler. Just fucking. No, no, no. Well, I mean, I, there was a joke that Leanne used to say how many times Isla would walk out of her room. Like, remember she, putting her back in bed? There was a point where Isla would do it 20 times a night, would get out of her bed and just walk back in And you the put her back room. in bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yep. Every day. She stopped when she was four and a half. Yeah. She got up every day between two and three o'clock in the morning, and I would get up and walk her back and put her back in the bed because the answer is no to me. That yeah. was my household. Now, like I said, two of our closest friends still have a seven and a nine-year-old in their bed, and that's their choice. But I was like, Mama needs some sp- – I'm also very introverted. I need, like, I need my space to kind of recharge. Yeah. I don't need people to recharge. I need to be by myself. So then when he's gone, and I've been mommy on duty all day, all day, day in, day out, I wanted my bed. So it was very selfish, but I felt like at the same time, it was probably right for our kids because, you know, they have a bit of anxiety, and I'm like, this is kind of helping them learn to cope with anxiety. You know, it's anxious to be in your bed by yourself, Mm -hmm. but that's life. You have to be able to cope with those things at some point. And I just wasn't willing. That was where I drew the line for me. Yeah. I know a lot of people who let kids sleep in their bed. I slept with my dad until I was older when my parents were divorced. She's from the South. And we were so like we lived in a house with no heat, so we just heated one room. So I slept in there because yeah. there was one room that's warm. My kid screams yeah. if we put her in her bed. La- oh. Last night, this morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, my chick is like, you got to go to Harper's bed. There's not enough room for all of us because my kid... There's the new baby uh-huh. next to her, and then my three-year-old scoots right up against my chick. Right. And so I just, I'm like, I slept in the, the twin bed last night. But see, the problem, the my theory Very is comfortably. that's anti-mom and dad are a team. 
Oh yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's like everyone versus mom and me. Kids are a team. Dad's out. <laughs> it's girls versus cool, boys though. in our house. But that's not. I I don't think that's cool. Now now, now use your expert. Uh, th- you've been in therapy for your majority of your adult life. So use like what would how would you fix this with me? Like I, automatically I know what Liam's one of the things is. What you should do is read a book about uh, parenting a child in a bed by themselves or something, and then say, hey, you know what, to your wife, I read this really great book, and your wife will be like, wait, you read a book about parenting? Yeah. And, like, and then give it to her and go, check it out. Maybe we should try some of these things I know that I'd like to try, and, and I can start if you'd like. Like, how, What's expert advice on how to – Don't do that. I don't know. She's shaking her head. I, don't, I really don't know. Oh, thank God I don't have to read a book. I know, right? <laughs> that would stink. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a tough one because are you and your wife on the same page about kids sleeping in the bed? You know what? Uh, it's been so long since we've had a regular sex life. I'm just in this blind faith of it'll come back at some point. And uh, I've stopped bothering her. I've stopped trying. And, uh, you know, I'm really – I'm like over – I'm probably two into my three-year-old. So, like, the fact – that I discipline her, but at that, I don't want her bawling her eyes out at 4 a.m., which is what would happen if I put her back in the bed. So I'm like, I'll trade that with the hope that when she's four, she's not coming to our bed anymore. And Or or we just never have sex again. <laughs> well, I hope that's not the that, case. It goes away. Sex drive goes away. Well, I can tell you this about Isla. Isla, at 18 months, learned how to climb out of her crib. And we had a loft, and she was upstairs. So we had to put her in the bedroom with her sister in a bed. She we Bedtime was like 7.30. She would get up, walk into the living room, and I would turn around and walk her into her bed until 11. Constantly. Yeah. Never stopped. For three months. By the way, by the way, that For wakes, three up, months. wakes up the other child also. So now we got two kids awake. Mom! But I was like, this is, I'm, I don't have an alternative for you. I'm not putting you in the bed. So you got to figure out how to manage this. And at 18 months, she couldn't really understand. I couldn't really sit down and go, hey, here's what we're doing, honey. You know, it's your, you can't, it's not safe for you to stay in the crib. So you got to sleep in here. She didn't get it at all. Yeah. We had a friend who told us that they had the same problem with his son and they turned the doorknob around and locked the kid in the room. That's what my buddy did. And let him scream locked it out. Him, locked him in. <laughs> don't say his name. <laughs> but the same guy also told me. That was, it was like two days, and it fixed it. Mine was three months of walking yeah. her back for I wonder three if hours a night. I would start crying at 7 o'clock yeah. because I knew what my night was. It was awful. I think when they get older, you get breathing room. I think yeah. that's what I noticed. When they get older, there is like a, a it, you get breathing room to it, I think. You're in the trenches now. Like yeah, you're in the trench. You got a brand new one, man. This, this is a trench. This is, this is fucking, you got, you got trench foot. Trench foot. Yeah. All right, thank you, babe. Okay, but just one more thing. Don't don't let it go too long without sex. Really don't. Don't, because you, you, it's good well, for yeah. you. Okay, then what would be the thing? What would be the thing he could do to make sure, like, what, like, in, if you were in his wife's shoes, what would you say? You know what? That's a surefire way to get my pants. I don't know. Does she like bath, bubble baths, or is there anything like that? No, you she's, could do? she's not the that kind of girl. She may be. Uh, um, she's an in, impenetra- impenetrable force right now. She's just not. It th- th- what what it takes from experience is not an option right now. So I would have to just start rolling the dice again, like we were brand new, Aww. and and just guessing a lot. 
and we've been together long enough that if you guess wrong, she will just say no. And then, then at that point, you're like you're getting rejected over and over and over again. Can you can you talk to her about it? We talk all the time about it. Oh, you do. Yeah, she understands it's a problem. Got it. Okay. That seems like half the battle. Yeah. That is it. Because yeah. for several months, she didn't even acknowledge that it was an issue. Yeah. So the fact that the last three two months, she's been like, I see that it's a problem. Is a big deal. I find that there are probably 80% of the people that listen to my podcast have the exact same issue. But they also don't have, they don't aren't touring comics. They don't have a sitcom deal. Their wife doesn't have a job. And they and and sometimes what comes into factors, which was my factor with myself, is I would let myself fall apart and I'd look unattractive. And then all of a sudden I lost weight. And I remember Leanne like jumping my bones and being like, God, you look at your arms. Like shit like that. And I was yeah. like, so I think a lot of people listening to this probably go, Oh, no, I'm in that exact same fucking thing. Hey, Tommy, on Twitter, here's what I did. I remember getting advice from someone. Do you remember this? And he was like, oh, no, no, no. I know exactly what you do. You don't make eye contact with them, and you don't touch them. Don't touch them. Don't make eye contact with them. And just refer to them like like they're not even in the room. And then after a while, it, it happens with children. If you don't touch them, they start losing their minds. So, <laughs> And I was like, I'm not trying that. That can't be smart. I don't know about that. No, no, yeah. That's way too long. It's okay. too long. You gotta come up with a plan together. That you can That's what we'll do. We, I think the the start of it is talking about it more. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, baby doll. Thank I love you. you. And Tommy's afraid of dogs, so don't let out that dog. All right. No, don't. Very, there's no dogs. Terrified of dogs. Um. All right. We've done two hours and change. How, and what's I, your normal podcast? I, c- I try to keep it under three. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, so we'll, this is not super long. No, this is my fans and my fans. I talk to the twelve, twelve, twenty five hundred, are right now loving this because they're like dude i have a three-hour drive home you got if you can promise me 15 more minutes i can fucking make it yeah i can all right i I mean i feel like i i I didn't carry my weight but i've i've had a good time but i'm a very selfish person i would stop i would stop with that thought have you thought of having a podcast i've thought of it a lot you should do it there's so there's a lot of them that i enjoy and um try try doing your morning pages on a podcast yeah just by myself talk for 15 bill burr said to me because i was like i wish i had done what you did and he said dude it's very easy i started with five minutes five minutes of just a little bit of a rant. oh really yeah i, I think i'm par- probably definitely paraphrasing yeah um i started with five minutes i you, and then you get you build to like yeah. 15 and 15 feels really comfortable next thing you know one day you do 35 and the next day you're doing an hour and and you know you're doing an hour and you're figuring out how it works how it works best for you yeah so what i do i do these adventure casts where i start with a 15 minute podcast by myself in my man cave early in the morning with a cup of coffee and i i don't bullet point anything i just kind of talk off it's right when i wake up so yeah. my mind's totally empty yeah and i start talking and then i take uh my this with the with the mic on top and i take it to go do something i go t- to starbucks or i go to yum yum donuts or You're i do talking so- in the yum yum i'm talking in the thing it's hidden so no one knows i'm doing it i'm talking into it kind of interacting with people which is really cool exercise in voice in in, yeah because it teaches you to be a little more real because that's who you are in real life and then so and then i bring it home and i wrap it up in there and it's about an hour so it's it starts in there i do an an activity i come back i'll go get in my car i might listen to music i might talk about how that music makes me feel and then i post it you should try doing oh that's amazing should try doing one the uh one of the other things i think we haven't talked about everything I want to talk about, and I lo- if you're up for it, I'd like to do another one of these 
with I'd love around. to. I love the cigar hang and yeah. uh, we'll do a cigar. If you if if you promise me another one, I'll, I will I will be able to go like, oh great! If that one wasn't amazing, I'll do I'll do better. I know I know the the style now. No. I was real worried that this was. Uh, you did a tight forty-five, and I was just rambling, and and uh, we were doing. It. Is there some? I got to find out what's going on in that phone over no, there. No, it's uh, nothing. Huge uh, gossip. Uh, no, it's not. Um, it is. So yeah. So, but it, it'll be fine. We'll do, we'll do another one of these. I mean, I I could do another one in a fucking week. I'm doing nothing until mid January. So if you want to come anytime, I'm home every Monday, I love Tuesday, a morning Wednesday, cigar and coffee. Now, yeah. I love your watch. Oh, thank you very much. Gift to yourself or gift uh, from someone? I don't talk about it. The uh, <laughs> really? No, I'm fucking. I don't. I, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why in, in a little bit. I talked about it, and then everyone seems to bring that up to me immediately. <clears throat> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, in a negative way. No, no, no. Just I, and and I'll tell you afterwards. Oh boy, I'll tell you afterwards. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, the only thing, the only thing that I know that I, the three things I want to talk to you about. There's one thing I definitely want to talk you to know, you about. What? Uh, hold on to that. If you do the adventure thing, you should come to V. We could do this at the V. I'd do this at V. Yeah. Or I'll, I'll come it's here. I love it. It's a little here. bit long of a drive. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because well, I got to go over come the hill. I'll Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do another one Let's of these. Let's do it again. What's the, what's the things you missed? You didn't want to, you want to talk about? Uh, the celebration, I'll think about it. The celebration of Ron Bennington. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I, I will start as off. As good as it gets. I will, I will start off by saying one of the things we connected with that weekend in Penguins was – that you had just gotten XM in your car and you were driving Ron everywhere. And, Fez. and you said, Ron and F- I love Ron and Fez. And I had been a Ron Bennington fan since From I Florida. was since I was like uh, maybe eleven. Was it Ron and Ron? Ron and Ron. See ya. So see ya. Yeah. See ya. I, I mean, to this day, it, it, the things from that show are me and my friends' uh, quick exchanges of how we talk to ourselves. That's how we exchange back and forth. And I. <clears throat> And then one time I was listening and you were on and I was like, holy shit, how did Tommy John get on Ron and Fez? And you say you used to call in. I would call in and say, just as a caller, and then he started doing that, Tommy, can you hear me? So I would say, it's Tommy on the line. He was, Tommy, can you, and you remember that? Yeah. When anybody named Tommy, he would just, Tommy, can you hear me from the, the who or whatever? And then you would, he would cut you off. You, you would just disconnect. So I would start calling in and say my name was Tom. Yeah. And then I would get to say my little quip and then get off and then i just cold emailed one day the show and said hey i'm a comic in new york i'd love to be on and they had me on yeah earl was there sweet tell everyone about earl that doesn't know about earl uh earl was the producer on the show and um would always get just total i'm trying to think of the right word like scolded or just a healthy amount of shit and th- my favorite a thing about that substantially show substantially healthy amount of shit. It was when you you're listening to it, you can't help but be like, "How much of this is just for the show?" And then I go there, and the mics are off, and Ron is coming down on Earl for something, or Fez is upset about, th- and I'm like, "Oh, this is just." They turn the mics off, they turn them on. It doesn't matter. Everything's the same. This is real. Yeah. This is great. <clears throat> Do you remember one when- time I emailed Earl? And at the beginning, I was so, you know, like, hey, I just want to come on the show. I know I'm not I'm not there to play. I just want to be a – I can't remember how I said it, but it was, like, very much – If you, it was like I'd, I'd already done it twice or something, and I was like, hey, I just want to come on. I know the deal. I'm not trying to promote anything or blah, blah, blah. I just want to – whatever I said, Earl was like, sure thing, come on in, and then just sat me on the bleachers to watch the show. And Ron comes out, and he's like, Tommy, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, oh, Earl – I asked Earl if I could come on, and he said, come watch. So I'm just watching. And then Ron came down on Earl. He's like, what the fuck? And he, Ron, Earl's like, I thought he just wanted to watch. 
And Ron goes, you think fucking Johnny just wants to come and watch the show? <laughs> and then luckily they were doing a midnight show, a live midnight show that night, and I came back and did it. But it was uh, it was my favorite Ural fuck up where I emailed to get on, and he's like, come watch. And I just <laughs> sat and watched through the glass. Do you remember when Earl would pass out? Yes. faint? <laughs> yes. What a fun show. Tom, it's still great now. Uh, Gail's on. Ron's yeah, daughter. Uh, amazing. Yeah, I, f- I follow her on Periscope. I think I follow her on Periscope. I follow her on Twitter. Um, I haven't been in when when Gail's in. I don't think. Wait, I'm, I don't know. He called in the other day when Segura was on. Yeah. Or they called you. They called me. It's and it's it's one of the things I love about. The, I, I mean, I, I there's a lot I love about Ron Bennington. Yeah. I think he is one of the most brilliant broadcasters the best interviewer going right now as far as no questions some, asked. someone that i'm interested in. i mean uh it's not all comedy i remember when they were do the show that he would interview some guy that wrote a book i'd never heard of and i didn't want to read and then by the end of it i was like man I, this book sounds amazing he uh in montreal he's supposed to inter- do uh behind the music not uh, unmasked unmasked with crystalia and i walk in because i want to watch so I, I just yeah. want to watch Ron interview. So I go back in the back and I see Ron outside. And I was like, Ronnie B, what's up? And he's like, nothing. Uh, uh, I think Delia's a no show. And I said, really? He goes, do you mind doing an unmasked? And I was like, in my head, I was like, biggest fucking what? compliment I could ever get in my yeah. life. I mean, just like a, a real, a real. Did you do it? Benchmark. So I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, of course I can. And I'm like, I'm glad I'm sober right now. Yeah. Because had I been drinking earlier in the day, because I don't think I had anything. I was just watching shows that day. So he goes, okay, uh, I'll let you know. Uh, just be ready. So I, I went, okay. So I go back in the back. And a part of me is hoping Delia shows up, because I want to watch him interview Delia. Because there's a lot about Delia that I find fascinating. I, f- I really find interesting about him, his approach. I find he has an honesty about what he wants, what he wants out of this business, what he wants out of his art, what he does. I think he's a, an amazingly talented actor. And I and I literally was like, this would be a great Unmasked, but I really want to be on Unmasked. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the back, and uh, they're like, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the music for Unmasked comes on, and Ronnie B comes up, and he's like, all right, all right. So uh, he's like, just come up. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Just keep it real. Be honest. And uh, and you, you got something like uh, a good story. I'm like, Ronnie, I know what I'm fucking. I, I'm ready for this. I'm I'm there. And he's like, okay, okay. And then he sits there and he goes, I'm just fucking with you. Delia's here. <laughs> and I was like, motherfucker. And I was like, oh, son of a bitch. But yeah, he is. He is. What do you have, do you have like I because I have like five of my favorite Ronnie B moments. Do you have any good Ronnie B moments? Where uh, you're like, I haven't thought of. I have them, but I can't think of any offhand right now. Uh, no, I don't have one. right Justin, now. um, the guy, the actor from this is the best, one of the best Ron Bennington moments ever. The actor from he was the guy who fell asleep on the roof in in uh, in the Hangover. Yeah, his name's Justin, I think. I know you're talking about. He's the guy who was in um, the movie with Nicolas Cage where he goes and looks for all the mysteries. He's the guy that they, yeah, the the, lo- the guy they lost in the hangover both times. Right. I th- I'm almost certain that's him. I, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm sorry. But I, he comes in to do a Ronnie B interview. And he comes in and it, like he takes a while to take his coat off. And Ronnie's like, I'm in trouble with that coat. And he's like, ah, you know, man, it's New York, fuck. And it's you can hear a lot of off-mic shit. And then he sits down. And Ronnie goes, so uh, big movie opening this week. You excited? And he's like, you know, that's the big movies, big I don't know. And he's like, uh, so uh, this is the second one. You know, where are we at with the second, with the sequel? It's the se- sequel, the his Nicolas Cage movie. He goes, it's, uh, well, you know, it's 
lot of the, you know, looking for a treasure, national treasure, you know? And he's like, and Ron goes, you know what? I don't have to do this. And he's like, excuse me? He goes, I don't need this, and I don't fucking have to do this. You know what? Get him the fuck out of here. And the guy's, like, guy's like, hold on. I'm probably over paraphrasing, yeah. but yeah. I'm, I'm, I can tell you where I was. I don't have to do this. You get out. And, and he's like, excuse me? He goes, you know what? I didn't want you in here. Your publicist wants you in here. Do you think I want to spend time out of my day talking to the third lead in National Treasure? Do you think I said, oh, get me him here? And do you think when I said get me him here that I said, and bring him in with a bunch of attitude where he can't just come in and fucking – and the guy's like, I thought we were breaking balls. No, we're not breaking balls. You don't know me. You don't know me to break balls. And I'm not breaking your balls. I'm asking about a movie. And, you know, you you should be lucky to be – and Ronnie breaks him fucking off. Really? Off. It is silent. I'm on the grapevine heading to Sacramento. I got to find this interview. And Ronnie and the guy goes, I'm, I'm sorry. And Ron goes, it's, I, it's past that. And the guy goes, well, can you give me another chance? And Ron goes, I, quite honestly, I don't think so. I don't think I want to talk to you. And the guy's like, listen, man, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't know how to do these interviews. I'm not naturally like a funny guy. I don't know how to hang out with funny guys. I just, like, I don't know. I, I thought that I, that's how you do these interviews. And Ron's like, it's not. You just be yourself, man. And the guy's like, okay. And he's like, do you think we can start over? And Ron's like, I mean, we could try. So tell me what it's like. Tell me about the movie. And the guy's like, I'm really excited, man. It's a motion, major motion picture. It's like the perfect fucking interview. I'm really? sitting there going like, Ronnie B's a murderer. I pulled off the road. I stopped because I was like, I can't be driving this to this. I'm like shaking going, Ronnie B destroys time. The other one, the other one that I say was, is fucking that were two other moments where I was like, this is what makes Ronnie B. A, I'm going to say three because I got to say all three. One was when Ron, I'm going to say four. Fuck it, four. Yeah. One was the first time I introduced my wife to Ron and Fez. And I go, I go, you don't understand. This show is fucking awesome. She was like, ah, she didn't like Opie and Anthony. She thought, I thought it was too mean. And I was yeah. like, no, it's not mean. You've got to hear it. And I turn it on. We're in her car. And it's silent. It's dead air. And I'm like, I don't know. They must be, I don't know. And all of a sudden you hear. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron goes, I'm sorry, Fez. <laughs> Is that a grown man crying? <laughs> and I am now, you know, I'm loving it because as a fan of the show, I'm like, shut the fuck up, Fez is crying. And Ronnie, I'm so alone. I just and it, and and it's Ron and Fez, and Ron is talking Fez out of a spiral. And Leanne's like, what is this? I go, just enjoy. And Leanne, yeah. we pull up to wherever we were going. We we're meeting with a commercial agent. I think I was meeting with a commercial agent. She was with me, and I ended up not meeting with the agent. And was sitting in the car just and listening. listening. And going, I don't, I don't even want to fuck the commercial agent. We left, and, yeah. and the other one was these are only the two other ones was driving down Detroit. I can tell you where I was on these moments. Yeah, that's how that show is. I was driving down Detroit off of Sixth Street, turning left on Detroit, and I hear Ron Fez. How many, how many guy, how many thirteen year olds do you? Think? I know this one. Yeah, <laughs> they had the in depth conversation about how many thirteen. Was it eight-year-olds? How many eight-year-olds could you beat up? Yeah, how many eight-year-olds beat up? In a ring. I don't know, Ronnie. Can I use one as as a weapon? (laughs) Yeah. Are they all coming? They're coming. uh, Then they get to the point where, like, are they coming in one by one? Are they coming in one by one? And then can you swing one around? Yeah. And then they had the no retard rules. Yeah. They were all... Because that, which is what what it is. But I I sent that to people. That clip was great. Because they had, like, a real full... 
thirty minute conversation about how many eight year olds could you beat up. Yeah, and then the uh, then another one was, uh, could you get through a town and murder everyone while they slept? How many people do you think you could kill while they slept in a town? Oh, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because yeah. a friend of mine uh, sent me the clip. I listened to half the, but, uh, but the best part of that was. Fez going, could we work as a team, Ronnie? And he goes, <laughs> no, we couldn't work as a team because I'd be 13 people into my murder spree, walk up to you, and you'd be going, I can't get past the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one was, uh, could how, uh, how many men could it take to kill a bear? Like these yeah. almost like esoteric. I love these. But Ron would break it apart so brilliantly. And the, the last one ever, ever that I'll say about Ron, I'm, I'm like, these are like just moments where you're in a car and you're like, it, you're just like, and the best was listening to Ron and Fez on replay on driving down the five. Because I used to drive after my Sunday show, and that's when XM was huge. Ronnie had yeah. just come over to XM, and he was telling a story about going to after after hours bar when he was partying on coke with a bunch of friends. And the deal was, you couldn't, you had to bring your own beer, but all the places to buy beer were closed. All the places to buy booze were closed. But they had booze there. You just had to give them money. A lot of times they'd give, it to you, give you money, but they didn't have any money on them because they had been doing coke all night. All they had were firearms. So he said, I know the guy that runs the place. He, he'll definitely trade us fucking booze for a couple of shotguns. He goes, brilliant idea on paper. Until you walk into an after-hours joint, yacked up on cocaine, brandishing firearms. Hey! where's david <laughs> and i just i heard that and i thought i really wish i had had a time to party with ronnie oh B. my god like just a, a time in the 80s on those cigarette boats with the mullets yeah and the half shirts that had hulkamania <laughs> written on them like those moments that i just really missed so good that i i i, I want to listen to all those replays you ever listen to the replay of him and ron and ron breaking up no i listen to that like there's a breakup? I don't know if a you can fight? find it anymore, but it's the last show they did together where they decided they didn't want to work together. Was it a fight? Uh huh. And it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was great. Oh man, I I love that guy. He's he's someone I would probably get in a plane, fly to New York, and have a cigar with if he said, "Hey, I'm having a cigar on Thursday. Do you want to come out?" Yeah, I've never had a cigar with him. I'd love to. I'd love to have. He smokes cigars still, right? Yeah, yeah. Now I just got cold. It's have cold, you been this cold the whole time? I've been as cold as you can be. I'm just a very cold guy. Really? I'm cold all the time. Um, do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, you know, live dates on my, uh, you can see my website, TommyJComedy.com, and then Twitter, at Tommy Jonigan. At Tommy Jonigan? Yeah, I don't tweet a ton. But all right, I'll post this before the new year. And then I'm, I'm here until, like, January 13th. Oh, solid? Yeah. I'm here uh, basically every, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm on the road a decent amount. Hopefully this pilot. Do you know the date's coming up? You know the cities? I have. Uh, where am I going to be? I'm going to be in Cleveland for the new year, and then San Antonio, and then. Um, where in San Antonio? This LOL club. I don't know how it happened. Uh, hopefully, it's good. Then. Um, uh, d- 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 San Pull it Antonio. up, and I'll tell. I'll say. I'll oh, say Cincinnati, West Valley, Utah, Tacoma, Washington. January is San Antonio, Cincinnati, West Valley, Utah, and Tacoma. Nice. Any any dates in Canada? Somewhere in here is uh, not for a while. I go to like uh, Edmonton, Vancouver. Edmonton. If I'm going to Vancouver, I'm do- I think I'm doing the I'm doing the comedy just mix. for laughs. Oh, really? Just for laughs. Yeah. Uh, West Coast tour. I'm gonna have to use your plant. 
No, that's where I pee. Pee. That's where I pee. Yeah. Leanne hates it, but I go, well, fucking, come on. It's your plan. Um, all right, and I'm being serious when I say this. If you go see Tommy, you will have a blast. You are one, you are, when I say one of the funniest guys working, I don't mean it as in a glad-handing way. That's very Like, nice. one of the few people that I'd go, oh, shit, he's in my town. I would definitely go see you. Oh, thanks. And uh, and we'll do this again next sure. week or in a, in a couple I'm in. Of weeks. I love a hang. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for having Thank me. Thank you, brother. Thanks I appreciate it. It was a blast. This episode was brought to you by the machine.